everyone, and welcome back to another edition of the TetraCast. This is RPG Sites' weekly podcast where we get the site staff together to talk about our favorite genre of video games. I've got the usual crew here today. My name is Brian Vitali. Joining me, I have Josh Torres. Folks, this is it. This is the podcast. This is the week where all our hopes and dreams are realized. We have Adam Vitali. Stop. We have James Galizio. Hey, folks. And Chow Min Wu. How's it going? So if you listen to our last week's episode of the TetraCast, we talked about how we had finally arrived at the summer gaming news deluge, and we had a lot to cover, but we knew that we had uh, some stuff on the way. We had the Square Enix event that we were looking forward to. We knew Capcom was working on things. We had a couple surprises uh, that we were anticipating might we might see, and it turns out uh, this week ended up being uh, the week to remember in terms of coverage for the site in terms of rpgs to look forward to in terms of if there's anything that substitutes for the e3 time period apparently it was the uh, in the last seven days because we'll have a lot of news to go through and some of these are big hitters and some of these are things we're looking forward to playing uh relatively soon and some things are are games we're kind of earmarking to set aside time for 2023 i know around this time of year we always kind of say this but man next year looks stacked uh so we'll get into that um before we get into the news entirely, though, we do want to kind of cover our our usual cadence here. Talk about games we've been playing. Uh, some of the some of the things that we have been uh, poking at are still stuff we'll have to reveal at a later time, uh, and some of the things are kind of games that we're looking to cover more into the July time frame. We have a few features up on the site that I want to also give out shout out to before we go into the major headlines. So, but this section will be relatively brief because we do have a lot to talk about and we don't want to keep those on the back burner for too long. So in games that we've been playing, it's been a, a hodgepodge of demos of early access releases and things like that. We talked a little bit about three hopes access last week. Um, but also we kind of spend time just working on our backlog and I've been playing a few things. I've been poking at some of the MMOs. We've been playing Final Fantasy and uh, other things. But we're going to start out with something a little bit out of left field here because we were talking before the podcast and Chow was talking about how he was playing this game that I actually don't know much about. And that is Illusion of Gaia. So Chow, to lead it off, when when someone tells me Illusion of Gaia, what comes to mind is, oh, that's some old RPG from like the PS1 or something, right? I don't no, really I'm know anything. Yeah, that's I, I'm not surprised that my information is wrong because I'm like, I've heard those three words strung together before. What is Illusion of Gaia? And like, oh, why have you decided to take now to, to start playing through it? Okay, so what happened is more recently I bought a, a Mr. FVGA. So this is like a, uh, it? this is like a chip emulation machine. So it's like emulating like the actual hardware. So it's like playing like uh, video games exactly the way it was on the on the original hardware yeah so, we kind of covered this at like a high level like two or three weeks ago so uh some of some of the stuff about you're getting the hardware needed to play these yeah. sorts of things we kind of did cover yeah yeah so i bought one of those and one of the things i decided to play was uh illusion of gaia this is actually like one of my uh favorite games for the super nintendo but the reason why i decided to play this again i was playing the beta version because apparently there was a rom leak which is the the beta version and the beta version is basically more accurate to the Japanese release. So it's less censored and it's more what you would get if you're playing a Japanese version. So the so the beta version was never officially released or was it? Never officially released. So uh-huh. so what happened was in the official game is that they got licensed by Nintendo. So when Nintendo acquired the rights to translate the game, they basically censored a lot of the game and 
even changed the title logo to like a giant planet and a big huge text that says Illusion of Gaia so that people can you know get ideas like oh it's like Zelda you know <laughs> like giant text right in your face right versus the Japanese logo at the title screen is basically the two protagonists running in in the comet yeah, and, and, and to, to kind of expand on that, because, like, the game is pretty dark, like, originally, so there are... Oh, there's, certain, it's very dark. <laughs> yeah, there, there are certain aspects, like, Nintendo-censored stuff, like, I, I think there were there was, like, a, tri- a native tribe in it that were originally cannibals. Yes, then, there is, and there's also a, a person that is part of the slave trade, but that text did not make it to the final game, obviously. Yeah, and then there's like a you know it had like a lot of religious references that were just you know k- k- kind of let uh, l- let go by Nintendo because during that era this was around ninety three or ninety four I think I forgot it's what it was ninety four but yeah, okay it's, yeah that, it's, that, that, it's those times yeah early nineties especially you know you put religious references in games you get tied into dicey territory with that aspect in the West like like one thing's even censored for the official release is that you apparently go to a church school. Apparently, mm-hmm. you have to yeah. change the pastor to to a teacher. You know, that's, yeah. that's where the censorship goes. Yeah, and and, and to, to, to uh, put it in context, this was the 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 second of the quintet games from that that quintet trilogy because there was yeah. Soul Blazer, then Illusion of Gaia, then Terra Enigma. Yeah, it's after. basically a direct sequel to Soul Blazer. Yeah, and come on, Brian. I mean, our podcast has the opening theme from the third game of this trilogy. I did not know Terranigma and Illusion of Gaia were in the same series. <laughs> I've not played either of those. Am I allowed to be it's here? Understandable. Uh, maybe you should. I mean, like I said, we our opening theme comes from one of their games, and the soundtrack in this game is amazing. I think you should give it to a listen. Wait a minute. Yeah. Wait a minute. Terranigma never released in North America. That's my excuse. But it's in Europe. I'm the, I don't live in Europe. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, is Europe not part of the world, guys? But okay, fine. Yeah, I'll, I'll mean, go to Europe and grab a copy of Terranigma. How far, how far are you in your playthrough of Solution of Gaia Beta now, Chow? Uh It's a pretty short game, so yeah. you could probably beat it in seven hours. Oh, but um, the only thing I like that games. Uh, I think the only thing that that's probably bothers me is like there's this collectible item that's very easy to miss in, in the playthrough. It's called the Red Jewels, mm-hmm. and they're like all over the place, and there's like fifty of them, and you get to fight a secret boss if you can collect all fifty of them. Yeah, I, I wonder, man. I don't know how how the hell you re-release the quintet games. I would like to see them, but I guess the most likely place we'd see them is like the SNES online service. I, I want a full remake. I mean, considering that they remake Act Racer, I feel like it gives them incentive to remake this game eventually. But I mean, I but, feel but, like but the, the, is hard. the is the license still with Nintendo? If it's li- if the license is still with Nintendo, then. Well, I actually think the problem with license with this game is all the staff that worked on it. Mm. Have you ever seen like the title screen? This is copyright from like four different people at the yeah, bottom. Yeah. Um, one of them is like uh, from their from the person that wrote the story, which is uh, Mariko O'Hara. She's the she's the main writer for this. She's like a science fiction writer. Oh, well, I'm not sure that they had to get the rights from from her, you know, to like remake the story again or something like that. Yeah, I don't know. It's weird because Quintet is abolished. So uh, who, wh- where does it go here? But paint a picture for me. Like I don't even know. I'm clueless. I feel like is this a a turn based or ATB like RPG or is it more like Chrono Trigger? Uh, it's or an action Ocean? RPG. It's an action RPG. Basically, you don't have any currency. It's just mostly 
action. Uh, you can't buy healing items, but you but there is healing items in the game that you can find. And you, I guess, the closest comparison I'd say to someone like you know for people who are really unfamiliar is like maybe the Mana series. Oh, okay. Um, in terms of like game flow, seems more closer to Yeast games, I would say, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, it's kind of like that. Uh, basically, in the game, you have. The main character, his name is Will, or Tim, according to the beta or the Japanese version. Uh, Wait, his Japanese name is Tim? Yes, his name yep. went from Tim to Will. and even, like That seems American- interesting to me, because, like, if, if and it, that's, like, that name works perfectly fine in English, even for, like, early 90s Nintendo, I feel. Apparently all the names got renamed in the official release. So, uh, Karen becomes Kara, and was I think Rob becomes Lance. Everything just completely changed. That's just <laughs> interesting because I, when I, whenever I think of like '90s name changes, it's when they change like Digimon names, like Yamato to Matt, you know, things like that. But like, why change? Why change like Rob to John or whatever? But what's even funny if if you actually play the French version, there's a French version that has completely different names as well. Now Will is becomes Paul or Tim becomes Paul. I didn't know about that. That's funny as fuck. <laughs> and Princess Karen or Kara is now Flora. You know, they have all different names again. Nice. But, yeah. So, anyways, the gameplay goes like, like, uh, what is it? You get to go to the, your safe point, which is in the dark space in inside Gaia. And in there, the main character can transform into different forms. He can fight, like, his base form, which is just a kid that uses his flute to hit enemies. Or he can transform into this knight called Frieden. And Frieden has, like, a giant long sword that has very long reach. And he could shoot fireballs later on, if I remembered. But you get like a special ability, like three different abilities for each character. Do, is it just uh, like how, how large is the playable cast? Um, basically, it's just you only get to use Tim or Will. Um, he gets another form later on, which is called Shadow. Shadow is like this very fast form that can. Uh, was it? He goes really fast, but he doesn't have like much special abilities compared to the other two forms. But he is very strong. Uh, one of the things so it's, I, not, so it's not a party based RPG at all. No, it's just oh, you only okay. get to use the main character, and he's trying. It's to just like it. Final Fantasy sixteen. Mm. <laughs> Maybe it is. I don't know. Maybe they could get a page from this storyline. I don't know. Uh, what is it? The last form shadow uh, has this accessory for his special ability that lets him like go underground and become temporary invincible for him. I also feel like the last boss is designed to be impossible, but because he has this cheap ability, it kind of gets rid of all the difficulty. Wait, who has a cheap ability? Tim does? Uh, where he goes like underground for a split second, then he comes back up. And when he comes back up, the final boss does no damage to you, or anything does no damage to you. Yeah, so basically, you just... the, basically, the underground like move has like invincibility frames, so yeah, you, you just kind of get the system. Yeah. I feel like the last boss is designed to be like impossible, but yet People just exploit it anyway, so you just keep abusing this thing to kill it. Yeah, watching speedruns for this game for this game is really funny. But yeah, that's the free characters you can play as, or well, it's even it's the same character but three different forms. Uh, that, that is kind of yeast like. Let's see. If we're going for the storyline, the storyline goes from. It's a very straightforward storyline. The main character wants to be explored because his dad was lost in the Tower of Bible. And apparently, uh, what is it? The emperor or the king 
uh, was after a treasure that the main character's parents has. The main character's parents are dead. So, was it? They they were after a treasure that he his parents supposed to have, but he, you know, he doesn't have it. So, they send him to prison. And when he went to prison, the main character's parents, or his dad, like, spoke to him telepathically to tell him to find six mystic dolls so that he can get to the Tower of Bible. And in there, he'll find the true mystery of the world. That's basically the plot of the game. And when you escape from prison, he sends an assassin to go after you. This assassin's name is called the Black Panther in the Japanese version, so that got censored into the Jackal. <laughs> <laughs> so a lot, lot, of, lot of changes. A lot, lot of major changes. So I don't know. Like, Are, are Panthers more dangerous than Jackals? No, but when you say the Black Panther, what do you think of? Do you think of the guy from Marvel, or do you think of like the anti-political uh, uh, group? Oh, my, that's, <laughs> that's actually a, a good point. It might be it might be them trying to remove any possibility of alluding to the political group. So right. yeah, there, there was that, and yeah, I mean, I kind of miss can... like JRPGs that have like really simple stories: find the six MacGuffins, enter the final place, and you know. Find the big secret. And I or could whatever. give you the final plot spoiler since this game is for over nah, twenty-five years old. I would oh, avoid I even then. Just I would I would avoid just just saying like the ending outright. But I kind of missed the like the seven to ten hour straightforward RPG. Just, yeah, know. you know, I'm starting to think maybe as kids, you know, when you're come being these video games back in the day, feeling that we have all the time in the world, maybe it's not like that. Maybe these games just weren't that long. Here. How long to beat Illusion of mm-hmm. Gaia? The, the the one true resource. Uh, it's saying thirteen hours, so not not as short, but brief for a JRPG. Yeah, that's basically Illusion of Gaia in a nutshell. How are you but, enjoying I, your uh, just the experience playing it on the uh, on the Mister? The Mister, it, it feels like the real thing. But what what, what sort of uh, what sort of display are you playing it on? Uh, I'm playing on a LCD monitor, and I basically changed all the display that. Uh, mimics a, a Sony PMB, so it has all the, like the scan line and all that glory. And is that something that you configure at a hardware level with the Mister? Yeah, you could do it. You could just set it. It's like, oh, you want to display it like that? And I could even hook it up to a CRT if I wanted to, because it has all the wires to do it. Just, <laughs> do you just have one? Yes. You do. How come you aren't it's, playing on it? Uh, it's in the basement, and it's it's in the too, basement, and it's heavy as hell. <laughs> yeah, it's also like ten thousand pounds. So <laughs> yeah, it's too clumsy to set up. I was hoping that they would ever make those uh, super CRT monitors back in the day with Canon, but that idea died. Yeah, I used to have a like a, a sixteen by nine widescreen CRT. That thing, oh my god, that thing is probably the heaviest piece of electronics <laughs> I can like. I have a heart attack after yeah, ever seen. It. Like, oh my god, I need I need a crane to get this out of here. Oh, the biggest thing yeah. is b- before the flat screens. What was the type of TV that they were? They were like cheap to make, and they could make them like this is like mid early two thousands, and they can make them like plasma. seventy. No, before like like six years before plasmas, like they're really big sixty inch TVs, but they were like as fat as CRTs, and they were just huge. Uh, uh, I think you're talking about DLPs. Which DLPs are like, maybe. It's, it's like a projector and a TV. Yeah, I remember those. Oh yeah, those maybe those maybe clothes. maybe those things just look heavy as shit. They aren't quite as heavy as shit. I don't know. Yeah, but oh, those things we... have like a, a burning screen version problems if I remember. Mm-hmm. Well, that's not completely eliminated with OLEDs. I guess newer OLEDs are are better, but OLEDs from like five years ago weren't. So out of the uh, out of the Soul Blazer trilogy, like I assume you've played all three. 
Uh, yeah. I say this is my favorite, but a lot of people will probably say Terra Enigma is their favorite. I mean, it's pretty biased. I mean, maybe because it's the first game I played in the trilogy, then that's why this is my favorite. Yeah, it's one of those games that trilogy is like, whatever you played first is probably your favorite. (laughs) And there's no good modern way to play these. Like, well, I guess the Mister is an option, but like, they're not on a digital Uh, storefront or on PC or anything. I mean, Adam beat a bunch of games on emulator, including... uh, Emerald Dragon. I mean, you can always do the same thing. Just play on emulator. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, find the cartridge if you can, and then you know sometimes you have limited options. I also find one thing that's funny for for this game is that the Japanese version is actually more expensive than the English. Yeah, it makes yeah, sense. I, I kind of figured that if I had to guess, that's what I would have guessed. Well, usually it's not the case. I mean, cer- certain games like the Japanese version is dirt cheap, while the American version is like ultra expensive. But this is like a vice versa case. Like, if you want a copy of Chrono Trigger, that costs you a lot of money in the US version. But if you buy a Japanese version, it wouldn't even cost you like 20 bucks. Why, 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 why is it that the Japanese version is more expensive, though? Uh, this game sold better in America, apparently. A Nintendo marketing power. Must be. Uh, okay. Oh, never mind. I just typed into eBay. I don't know. If, I don't know if eBay is even the place you'd go now for this sort of stuff. But Illusion of Gaia, uh, new, two thousand seven hundred dollars. Like, oh, that's like the oh. box and everything. Oh, yeah, well. I, I'm sure well. no one has it new. Uh, okay, found, I found a cartridge for twenty five bucks, English version. <laughs> no, but it's it's cool to get the opportunity to to talk about some of these classic games that, like I said, now I know way more about Illusion of Gaia than I did. 20 minutes ago i just knew it was like oh that's that's the name of some rpg from way back when right yeah there's one thing i can't get enough of this game it was the main town theme i, I love the main town music uh but there's this one thing that they added in the in the mister recently they added this feature to support msu chips uh if anyone doesn't know what msu chip is is basically uh was it it's a chip that emulates like cd audio so you could use like audio from like mp3s and stuff to replace the in-game music and sometimes people take it like you know sounds with superior quality and you can play it like that but i although some people argue is like that doesn't that's not the real thing and that ruins everything. it reminds me of the people who like you uh still have playstation one solely for its audio chip because the audio chip in ps1 is really really high quality and like people swear by like that, that that's the way to play cds if I remember, the launch model has the superior chip, and then the later on models has like the inferior chip. So the first model is like more sought after. But the problem mm-hmm. with the first model is there was no fan, or no no was it no ventilation, so it gets hot real quick. Was it the PS3 or the PS4 where they're like, "This can't play audio CDs anymore," and everyone's like, "No." Oh, I, I probably I PS4 that... have to imagine because I because I remember PS3 is very open to a lot of like just past formats. Especially the the initial like twenty yeah. gigabyte model or whatever. Yeah, I still have a, a, a one of those just in the closet that I need to like fix because I got YLOD, but it's still there. I don't know if I don't know if anyone like can fix it anymore, but I, it's one of those projects that like oh, I'll get around to it one day maybe. Well, now that you have the option to subscribe to PlayStation Premium to play all your <laughs> PS3. And uh-huh. PSN classic games, maybe. At the if very afford- least, uh, at the very least, when that, when that launched uh, recently in the in the West, uh, they or at least in America, like they did have sixty hertz versions of the games, like right. This is now, so I mean, it, like it's one of those things that's like if it just initially made a bad showing and releasing in a region that um, 
It released in a region that originally supported 60 hertz, but for some reason they released 50 hertz over there, which, like, you know, I have no idea what's going on there, but at the very least, you have 60 hertz versions in the West for whatever that's worth. I think uh, it has to do with their voltage system. That's why they stick with 50 hertz. They don't know where they're. Uh, no, it's good to get the opportunity to follow up on that because we uh, kind of assume. I don't. Eh, it's not that we assume the worst, but because you're right, the, that's a good wor- way to put it. It was a bad showing to have that. Is that the initial like? Here's how they play on this from this other region. There are 50 hertz versions. Oh no. <laughs> yeah, just don't play fighting games. You play like a slow down version. Play it on the Mister to get your classic oh, uh, yeah. frame slow frame pacing slowdown. There's a bunch of games I played on the Super Nintendo that has a lot of slowdowns, like like Tetris Attack. If anyone played that, or Panel mm-hmm. Dupont. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. When the screen fills up, there'll be like massive slowdowns, and you can't do that really in emulation. It'll yeah, be like... it's like that's like part of like it's kind of a weird thing to think about these days, especially with everyone like wanting consistent frame rates. Back then, like some like games had like that's like intrinsic to their design of having slowdown like shmups. Like, if you didn't have slowdown there, it'd be impossible to react to incoming projectiles. My favorite one is in Steam. There was uh, Mushihimesama mm-hmm. released on Steam, and it had slowdowns. And somebody complained in the Steam community. It was like, this game has slowdowns. What can I do to fix this? It's like, no, <laughs> this is how the game's intentionally designed. So, like, yeah. you want the slowdowns. Like, why would you not want slowdowns? And some people <laughs> feel that the game needs to be steady 60 FPS. But you know what? If you don't have slowdown, certain parts is just unplayable, you know? Yeah. It's like impossible to dodge without the bullets slowing down your face. But thanks for uh, educating me on Illusion of Gaia and a little bit more about your experience with the Mister. Because we talked a little bit about how you had set it up, but not hadn't had a chance to play much or tinker, uh, do much other than just tinker with it. So kind of cool that you're getting the opportunity to visit some. I, I feel uh, like that's with like all devices. Like you always spend so much time tinkering with it and never time to play it. Well, like when, when James got his Steam Deck, he like started 20 games. It sounded like obviously not to not to really play them, but just to kind of see how they all functioned and worked, whether or not and compared to how they were listed as being compatible or not. Yeah, pretty much. So moving on uh, before the podcast, we did uh, talk a little bit to Josh about how he had been playing some of the over the last couple of weeks. There have been some demos that have been dropping in certain places or some early access games being made available. Uh, Steam has op- had their one of their I forget what they're calling it, their next fest or summer fest, one of their different uh, demo opportunities. And you you brought up just in passing to me that you had touched on a few of the games available on there. I don't know if you wanted to take the opportunity to talk about uh, any of the things that you had poked at on there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Before I poked at that, uh, the other day, .mu came out with the the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Shredder's Revenge, uh, basically uh, a, a beat 'em up, uh, very much in in tune like uh, the homage to Turtles in time, and what would that look like in a modern setting with a few you know uh, modern flourishes there. Um, I was I was able to do a full playthrough with a full six man party uh, on that on the hardest difficulty when that came out. Um, and that 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 game is a lot of fun to, for, for people who really like the TMNT beat 'em up back in the day. Uh, that was on the Super Nintendo. Um, that that was it's a it's a great time, great experience, so well worth the the price that they're asking for. Uh, in my uh, opinion. Is, that, is that on PC or on Switch or what was it? Uh, on everything, <laughs> on everything, and on everything. But the crossplay situation is very weird right now. I don't know if they plan to. Updated to support fully support crossplay, but the crossplay is like an isolation. Like between PS4 and PS5, they can crossplay. I don't know if Switch can crossplay with anyone, but between the Xbox versions and the Windows Store version, 
I think they can cross play. And then like the Steam and Epic Game Store versions, like people have to like go out of there, do some weird shit. Like I, I people have said it is possible, but they have to do like some weird like linking to Epic account and then maybe it'll work, say, maybe it'll not. I will say that um I did actually try out a bit of uh the TMNT game and at least the PC Game Pass version says that you can cross play with Epic Games. So maybe you can also cross play with Steam on the Windows Store version. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah, I don't know. Um, there's still a lot of investigation over that. Uh, I am not exactly too sure what people have found, but you know, all my friends and I just agreed like we'll just get the Steam version and make it very easy for us. So, um it, it is very much like that uh, old TMNT beat 'em up game, um, but it does have like a few new uh, systems in the mix. Like you know, you don't you just don't have like the basic attack. You have like a like a dodge backflip move into like a, a dodge attack. You have like a super meter uh, that you can fill up and then do a, a super attack. Um, and then like when you taunt in the game, you can fill up a super meter. And it's just a lot of fun. It's it's longer than you think. I won't say how many stages there are uh, for people who like want to keep that surprise. But I, I will say that is is longer than I thought. And it, it for for good like it, it's like a good length. It doesn't overstate well, but it's like wow, this is a really meaty package. And like and the the sprites aren't like the the old game. They're a little bit more squished down uh, and more. And the designs are more um, reminiscent of like the new TMNT cartoon, not the old '90s one. So like they they're, they're kind of more like it, it it's fine like it, it looks really really nice it's just like but there are people who've like played the original beat em up uh like in arcades or on the super nintendo they're a bit more squished down um you do have like the four turtles uh playable obviously i play i played Raphael. i was actually gonna Sai. ask like okay yeah. my my tmnt knowledge you say six characters uh-huh. so four turtles uh splinter mm-hmm. and casey is that it uh, uh it is um splinter and um, um april Oh, April. Uh, yep. Uh, I thought they said Casey was coming. Casey K- 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 is playable, but you have to beat the game once. So oh, Casey okay. is there as an unlockable character. So I haven't tried out Casey yet, but I do uh, have him unlocked. Um, and it's interesting because this game has like a there's like a very light RPG mechanics to it too, where there's like a, there's like a hidden XP bar uh, for the character that you're playing, and like you can level everyone up separately. But like as you're playing through the game, they'll like level up, and sometimes they'll get like you know, uh, they'll they'll raise like their their max HP like by one, and then other times they'll like, oh, you gain a new super attack. Uh, you can now do a super attack in the air, and then like later on you can do a super attack as you're doing like the backflip dodge move. So you gain new super attacks along with HP, uh, and also once you get uh like reach level eight, you get uh you have the option to store three super attacks. And you can either you can use them however you want, like doing separate super attacks, but you can also use it to go into radical mode, where uh, like you get into like a powered up stick, you do you move a little bra- you you move around the screen a little bit faster and attack a little faster and do more damage. So that's kind of like the 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 light RPG elements there. Not to say that like you know yeah uh, I don't know how much I don't know how much like oxygen I should like. Just because we talk about a game here at the starting of this podcast, yeah. we play more than RPGs. We're not saying that Shredder's Revenge <laughs> is an RPG. We're not going to put up a review. Well, if you wanted to review it, I'm sure Alex wouldn't say no. <laughs> if you wanted yeah, to but, no, it's, it's so yeah. light. Yeah. We, 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 yeah, we play other games. Uh, that's why we talk about like Tsukihime mm-hmm. and all sorts of things, visual novels, uh, you know, point and click yeah. action games. So 
there, there's also one of the, there's also one of the games. I, I don't know where where it started, but there's also one of the games that is starting to have VHS tapes as collectibles as well. You just collectibles in the game, like like for different characters, like yeah, like uh, the TMT verse. So like uh, I I forget their names of one of the characters that you uh, rescue. You try to find her secret diaries as collectibles for another NPC. You collect VHS tapes for them. And it's like yep, we're not the point in video games where VHS tapes are just like. It's it's common for them to be collectibles in a in a video game now, and I'm like, and I told my friends like, well, when are we get gonna get to the point where like DVDs are collectibles, and they're like, oh no. So, uh, and, and, uh, and two for, questions. I have two yeah. questions. Yeah, is is Rocksteady or Bebop in the game? Yes, they are. They are there, and they are together frequently in the game. Cool. Uh, yeah. Wait, so they're, are they're, those are those the two like pigs? Yeah, about? the Rocksteady Rocksteady's the rhino. Oh, and, uh, a rhino Bebop's and a pig. pig. Yeah, yeah. So like they're like the one of the first villains that you you meet separately then together. This this game also has like the the automatic scrolling stages. So like one of the first scrolling stages is them in a in, in a car and like you're chasing after them with the turtles. So like as you're going along the way there's obstacles and then that's like six player mode in this game is really fun. It is chaotic as hell. You don't know what the fuck is happening like half the time, but it's like just a lot of fun um because this game has like when someone goes down, you can go and pick them up again so it doesn't waste the life. And you can also share HP with people. So, like, uh, if you see someone low on health, you can, like, go high-five them and it'll give them two health from your health pool, which is really cool. Um, and, and this game has, like, the greatest hits of, like, uh, some, like, the most iconic villains from TMNT lore. You have the Rat King there. You have, like, the, tri- you have the Triceratons, which are, like, basically the, the Triceratop enemies that uh, the, the turtles face. And then uh, along with a, a whole bunch more, um, I won't obviously spoil like the rest of them. But but yeah, but for people who are uh, who can recognize TMNT villains at, at a distance, like before each stage, you see like a silhouette of like the boss that you're gonna face. So like you know, some people were like, oh, we're gonna face you know this villain or this uh, boss at this stage. So it's just a lot of fun. They they, they really nailed it uh, with, with that game. Um, for the Steam Next Fest stuff. I I got to try out uh, three demos uh, so far. I want to play a little bit more with some other games. Uh, one of them is not an RPG. It was uh, I think it's like Midnight Action Express. Um, that that is a really cool like isometric action game um, where it really emphasizes like uh, uh, going through levels fast, beating up enemies, using like weapons in the environment uh, for them to get in your way. Uh, like uh, they drop uh, weapons and then they have durability. So you beat them up with it. Some weapons you throw automatically, so it's very, very frenetic. Very like it has a really good pace to it. Um, that was pretty cool. Um, the other one I played was Tyrant's Blessing, which is uh, a game that we mentioned here on the podcast last week when we covered it for news. I was like, oh, it's on the Steam Next Fest, so I played a couple levels of that, and it it, it does remind me a, a little bit of uh, Into the Breach, where you can uh, see exactly what the enemies like what. Uh, who they're targeting and what zone they'll be targeting. So you use a lot of skills from like your three party members and like a, and like a dog as an assistant to like reposition them, make sure that no one's taking damage or taking as little damage as you can on the next turn. And there's some interesting environmental stuff that is a little bit like into the breach as well, or like you have an archer character um, shoot a shoot their bow and arrow, and when they uh, hit someone with it, that that pushes the enemy back. So if like the enemy is like if there's like a tree behind the enemy and you shoot them with the bow and arrow, you can you can not only take uh, 
damage off of them from the bow and arrow itself, but also on the on the collision of the tree. So they take down it takes off two HP instead of one because you, you like you know you're using the environment to your advantage to your advantage to like knock them into other parts of the environment. Um and then like you can use like the the dog assistant to like pull people out of the way out of damage incoming damage. Um so but I, I mean the 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 demo is pretty light in terms of like experimentation. You only get like four characters and that dog, but in the character selection menu, there's a lot more characters in the full game that will have their own unique um skill set. There's also you can also uh get runes to power up your skills and you get runes by this in-game shop uh where you spend like the star currency which you can uh get by like completing challenges and levels so the better you do in levels completing their sub objectives you get these star currencies to purchase stuff at the shop um you can also use like in-game money that you get to uh purchase like consumables as well so that's uh that game is looking really really cool yeah, my uh, brain is just poisoned now. When you say like star currency, I'm like, oh no, premium transactions or whatever. Like that's oh, what no. my brain immediately goes to. <laughs> no, it's not like that. Um, you just get it for completing subjectives in in levels. So that that was a cool one to to mess around with. Uh, I I definitely want to want to see more of it in the full game and see how more of the characters uh, like how they function. And then the the last Steam Next Fest demo that I played was. One that you're looking forward to, uh, uh, Brian, Lost Eidolons. Um, this is one of the beefier demos. This was like 18 or 19 gigs. I'm like, oh my god. Uh, usually these uh, these Steve Next Fest demos are very, you know, small slices of uh, the game. I, I didn't get when to Lost Eidolons was first. I don't know if it was mm-hmm. when it was announced or when it got a Steam page, but it's like a it's like a Fire Emblem game, but with an art style that's more like the recent Witcher games, like very Western. Yeah, very sort Western. Of yeah, 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 you're on the right track. It's very much like a Fire Emblem strategy RPG th- type with uh, with like a Western RPG um, graphical style on it. So that this one was a little bit frustrating uh, to 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 start from the get go because it has like an unskippable cutscene at the very beginning before you get to the main menu, and that cutscene was like five to six minutes i swear to god i'm like i, I was in the, i was like in it i was like if this doesn't end like in the next like 30 seconds <laughs> i'm gonna quit uh and there's no way to skip it uh it was basically just setting up like the the world and like some very basic like not not even setting up like the the battles that you're getting into but i was just like at the very beginning like it kind of perhaps like this medieval world what's going on about like you know money rolls all kind of that vid the that, those vague theme flavorings and then uh, another cutscene that like has one of the characters that you control um kind of setting him up of, like what kind of character this is so like there's like a parade going on in this village this town um this kid like uh his, like his silver like is like the money that he's trying to hold on to like he lets go of it in the middle of like this march so like he goes and gets it and then like that pisses off like the knights uh, there and he, like he's about to get like murked by them and then one of the characters that you eventually play is like hey hey hold on he's just a kid he's he's you know just trying to get his money and then like you know he, he barely evades like you know being executed on the spot essentially and then um since i've like, i haven't been feeling all that well lately so i only got to play just a little bit of this but um it like the very first mission is like you're just kind of thrust into it with like that dude from the beginning and like three other like dudes that are with him i don't really know any of them like obviously it's a, it's a slice of gameplay demo so it's hard to like build any like sort of like why do you care about these characters 
sort of deal. Uh, they're more they're more just units. Or is that a class based yeah. game? Like Fire Emblem? I don't. I I, I think it, I think there's a class based going on because there is definitely like um, advantages and disadvantages in combat on like a certain weapon types uh, mm-hmm. on it. Um, the very first one is like, hey, get to this point, like, uh, like get your units to this point and survive because they're they're surrounded by all sides. There's not really much context of like why they're being surrounded by all sides, but it's just like it's basically teaching you like, you know, basic mechanics like, hey, move here, attack here. Some edit, some of your units have um, skills, so some of them have like taunt skills where you attack them. And then they'll be they'll be focused on you. Some of them have like elemental skills, so you can like use like a, like a water slash spell. And whenever you attack a unit, it does that effect where like it zooms into the battle very briefly to show you what's going on. It, it kind of reminded me of like how Last Remnant uh, zooms in on like the, like the battles, and then like and then you see someone like slashing, and then it zooms back out mm-hmm. uh, on like the on the battlefield. Um, and it's uh it's kind of interesting because of the graphical fidelity it has like any changes in the, in the terrain you can already see for yourself you don't have, need to like it'll show you via icon also if you wanted it to but say during as you're trying to escape this level like to the topmost part of the map you'll see that there's mud in the way and like i didn't even like register that like hey this mud here will have a very bad effect on units if i like my units step into it because once i stepped into like that mud my pair, uh, that that unit had like the wet effect on it, so they could only move like a certain amount of spaces at a time. So like they had very limited movement, and I could have easily seen that coming if I I just you Pay know attention. made the connected the dots and like oh okay mod be- means bad. <laughs> so now I have to like kind of like babysit this unit on the way there as like more and more units are starting to like appear as reinforcements uh, from all sides, and it's like I just I need to get out of here while trying to get anyone out. Uh, 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 like eliminate all the, all the enemies out of my way, and trying to get this unit over here that actually stepped in mud. So it it does have like that kind of uh, those terrain effects on you that you do have to pay attention to it. Um, and it also does have like a like when you're starting the game, obviously it has your typical difficulty options, but as well has like the casual and permadeath mode. The interesting thing about the permadeath mode is that. You'll still lose. Uh, obviously, you'll, when you lose units in combat, you lose them forever. But they say they're like significant people in the story. They'll still appear in story cutscenes. It, it very specifically mentions that that like they'll still appear in cutscenes even if you lose well, them. Like okay, well, like even classic Fire Emblem has done that where they just yeah. get injured, like they can't fight anymore. Yeah, which I think is so. an okay way to do it. Obviously, it'd be really kind of cool to see like a game that that might be kind of interesting, like a, a Fire Emblem like game where the story is configured in a way that like people will take different people's positions in the story if they do pass in battle yeah. that's obviously that becomes like a logistical nightmare to, to determine all the permutations uh as far as lost idolans i probably won't get around to playing the demo because i think it's one of those limited ones where it's we're recording this on the uh 17th is it the 17th and it's only up it's only up until yeah. the 20th yeah it's um, 18th today as we're recording and then oh, yeah, 18th. I, I, I don't. I don't know if they're up to like the twenty third or what. I forgot exactly when they, when they stop. But yeah, it it is, it is uh, like you know, it's a very slice of light demo. It's like it's it's hard to get into it for me because like I don't know any of these characters already. Right. You know, so it's kind of like uh, you're just kind of you're, you're testing out basic gameplay systems more so mm-hmm. than like seeing what the story is. And on top of like the unskippable cutscene at the beginning, beginning, I already had like kind of like <laughs> a, a sort of like weird grudge against. I'm like, come on, I just wanted to get to the gameplay. I didn't care. I don't need to. 
see all this stuff at the very beginning. But you know, it's it's kind of it, I'd be very interested to see how how, how well it like. Well, it's slated to come out. In, uh, it's slated to come out like quarter three of this year still. Yeah, so uh, only yeah. a couple months away. Yeah, I, I'm really interested to see like how well they like design their levels. So like, if there's like anything in the environment that like is, um, I could be a threat to you. If like they'll, they'll continue to lead more into that, like, oh, there's like, like you know, some a swamp area here, you know, for example, like you definitely don't want to go into there. It doesn't, and it doesn't convey to you like through a tutorial menu or like, or like a pop up. It's just like it's just like it's the mistake that you made there. Now live with it. Now you now yeah. you know. Now you learned. So mm-hmm. that that was interesting. Um, but yeah, th- those are the, those are the things that I've been uh, up to for this past chaotic week. No, it, it has been a week, especially uh, on the news front, and we're going to start transitioning over into that. Uh, so before we get straight into that, thanks you for talking about your time with the Illusion of Gaia, Chow, and with the various demos that you had played, Josh, and a lot more stuff on the way in terms of games we've been playing as things start going, uh, as the things start releasing in late June and going into July. Alongside all the news that we've been updating up on RPGSite.net, we do have a handful of features as well. Some of these we had kind of previously talked about potentially doing uh, on earlier episodes of the podcast. Uh, one of which is we talked uh, a couple weeks ago about the announcement of the Romancing Saga Minstrel Song Remaster, which is coming out this winter. Uh, Adam is a very big fan and proponent of the uh saga series specifically romancing saga minstrel song so he wrote up his thoughts on basically uh what romancing minstrel song uh, romancing saga minstrel song is his opinions on the game what he's looking forward to in the remaster he's basically just saying like we've seen a few saga remasters now um what he hopes minstrel song does that is similar to those what he hopes it's different he hopes people look past the art style which is admittedly a kind of an acquired taste so go ahead and look at that up on the site it is romancing saga minstrel song is weird as heck but it rules i also I want know. to mention i, I found it really adorable but uh, because the adam you you brought this to our attention like one of the quote retweets for your article was uh, a japanese reader who like used machine translation to like uh read your article and I thought that was really adorable, and mm-hmm. like I'm like, that's awesome. Can I say the fans are dedicated for this series? Yeah. Well, Adam Adam mentioned this in his article, but this like this saga semi rebirth that we've had the last couple of years, it seems like they've correct. We kind of tease Square Enix sometimes, especially with their Western efforts about not calibrating their sales expectations. But it seems like all their efforts with the Saga series have met their expectations, which is why they're keeping doing them. So it's kind of cool that they can just run this along as like a BC project alongside all their other, you know, all their other work and see, you know, a good response to it and have kind of like this dedication of fans and get more people exposed to Saga. And we know they're working on a new game as well. And based on Adam's article, it makes me really interested in uh, trying Minstrel Song when it comes out uh, this winter. What about the gotcha game, guys? Well, I'm glad that it exists to keep everything else afloat. Uh, Thank God for the gotcha game. How weird is that? I mean, considering the state of some of uh, Square's uh, non-Final Fantasy mobile games, the fact that the gotcha still exists in the West is actually pretty impressive. Look, I have no, I have no qualms about the gotcha game existing. If that means more saga, and that's the way we get uh, saga, I'm in the same viewpoint. I I feel like if we're gonna get more games because of the gotcha games, give me all of it. This is an article that Josh put up uh, earlier in this week, and it's also um, Square Enix related slightly. It's about a 
a mod that recently released to a new version or a 1.0 version for the PC versions of the Kingdom Hearts games, specifically Kingdom Hearts 1, 2, and Birth by Sleep, so the 1.5, 2.5 package. And this is called uh, the Refixed mod. I hope I get that right. Yeah, RE colon yeah. fixed mod. So basically, uh, Josh went ahead and kind of detailed what this is. The, the the creators behind the mod created a release trailer for it that released uh, about a week, a little over a week ago now. Um, and basically just talking about how even when these games came out on PC, uh, especially Kingdom Hearts 3, I believe uh, James at the time wrote up something for it. It was a really strong effort compared to some other square pc efforts that have been kind of more mediocre to bad the kingdom hearts on the epic game store when they released last year were quite good you know quite a good port and a good way to experience the games but not perfect they had made some a few subtle changes or a few things where uh the games would kind of they held they held on to like for instance things that were introduced later in birth by sleep weren't backported into the earlier games for like way, the ways that the menus worked or that configuring your skills worked. Uh, refixed allows you to do that. So I don't know if, uh, if Josh, you want to just kind of go really quickly through why you felt like this was worth highlighting and some of the things that it uh, brings forward to the Kingdom Hearts games on PC. Yeah, yeah. Like like one, one of the like fixes out from the get-go for a lot of people is now that the cutscenes that have their 30 FPS limiter disabled so all of them can run 60 FPS and beyond for the cutscenes. Um there are there's a, there's some interesting ones that they added in here. So like for Kingdom Hearts one, uh, obviously that was like the first entry in the series. A lot of quality of life enhancements didn't didn't make their way there. Like uh, quick uh, quickly unequipping and uh, equipping abilities via the triangle button that still didn't make its way to to that. But with the refixed mod, they reintroduced that. One of the most contentious ones that a lot of people on our social media really did not like to hear was if for the kingdom hearts 2 final mix uh features that this mod brings is when you start a new game you have the option to skip the entire roxas segment intro if you want to and go straight to sora (laughs) Uh, it's fine i love the mm -hmm. the roxas segment but for replays is a Mm -hmm. slog to go for i that's i'm just trying to think that for people it's like you understand that like when you want to replay this game like and you've already seen that a couple of times for those people, it's like kind of just—it's not a great experience for like multiple replays. You're not when you're not there for the story. You just want to get to the game right away, you know. So, so that 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 opens up like when you if you decide to skip the rocks section, you just have to pick like the uh, the the weapons uh, the weapon you want from the dive to the heart as Roxas, mm-hmm. and after you pick that, you're uh, immediately Sorrow right away after that. So that that's what it does. They all, it all, this also added a dual uh, the dual audio option to Kingdom Hearts 2 and Kingdom Hearts Birth by Sleep specifically, so people who want to play them in the with Japanese voices. I'm surprised the mod is allowed to do that. <laughs> yeah, I, I know. know. I don't, like, that's like I a, don't a know. huge change, and I, I'm surprised that you don't run into issues with that. But yeah, the best yeah. thing about the Japanese voices is uh, Riku and Sora. Those become well-known uh, voice actors later on in their life. They were like child actors, but yeah, they're they're still big names today. It's it kind of interesting uh, because it's like the opposite in English, where Haley Joel Osment pretty much voices Sora. Like like I can't name another role of his other than that. Forrest Gump. <laughs> And, and then with, uh, with Kingdom Hearts 2 also they also backported a feature that was in Kingdom Hearts 3 where you can like reorganize your magic on the fly 
uh, on the in the command menu. So if you want to have your spells in a very specific order, you can reorder them uh, just seamlessly like that. And then like for Bir- Birth by Sleep, one of the interesting ones for Birth by Sleep is that they re-implemented like the ability to rename your finishers, which was in the PSP version, but it was never uh, in the Xbox and PC ports of Birth by Sleep. So they allowed you to do that again. So that's kind of like the some of the highlights there. Uh, if you're interested uh, in playing these games with some of these features, uh, go read uh, you know my news piece on it because I kind of give a thorough breakdown on what you can expect from this refix mod. And I wanted to emphasize that this is like all the options in it are optional and it's very not intrusive. It doesn't it doesn't change the content in the game. It doesn't change the gameplay in the game. It's very much just if you want just you know some slightly better quality of life and tweaks there here and there, um, you know have at it. Uh, over on the GitHub page for the Refix Mod project, I don't know they haven't really specifically stated if they're gonna um, re- uh, implement this mod in Chain of Memories and Dream Drop Distance, uh, but I think they are because now now that I'm like looking at it uh, for the first time since I published that. They changed the chain of memories status from uh, not present to they're they're now working on chain of memories and uh, I assume after chain of, chain of memories they're gonna do work on dream drop distance for that mod as well. So they're the major games are, are have been dealt with and now they're getting onto the uh, rest of the uh, games. So wait, dream dream drop distance has not been fixed. Uh, I mean, I imagine the dream drop distance one is they're gonna make the since it's like a cutscene compilation. For that one, I think they're going to no, it, it no. Dream Drop Distance is it? isn't cutscene. It's um, three fifty five over two is the oh right, one. right. That's right. I forgot or three fifty whatever the number is. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I actually had to remind myself. Wait, is Chain of Memories? Yeah, Chain of Memories is playable because it's one Chain of Memories. Uh, chain of Memories two, is like the, is like originally the Game Boy Advance thing with the cards, and then but, they, but this is the PS two version that's playable. Yeah, there's the PS two version. And then Dream Drop Distance was the three DS game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, yeah. I couldn't stand that Kingdom Hearts game because every time it's like you're like so into the action, then all of a sudden you're forced to switch the character without out of your control. It's like oh I wonder God. what they're gonna do for that. For I've uh, never. I, 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 I'm sure they're gonna like. I'm sure they're gonna like. If that's like annoying you, it must be annoying others. I wonder if they're gonna tweak that aspect of Dream Drop Distance refix. I don't. I didn't actually consider that. Well, I'm actually like a decent Kingdom Hearts fan. Like I watched the ending of Melody of Memory so that I could you know catch the one nugget of new story there uh i even watched some of the cutscenes from the mobile game about a year and a half ago now uh but like i somehow just skipped dream drop distance and just like don't really care to like ever go back to it i don't know it just never the concept never interested me i never felt like i needed to play it to play three i don't know like i just never got i never got around to dream drop distance and i'm not really inc- like itching to so I might not sound reason. like it, but I used to be a pretty hardcore Kingdom Hearts fan until that game came out. Then I just oh, apparently I avoided. <laughs> apparently I avoided a bullet. Then, but yeah, thanks for covering that mod uh, for us. And it's I don't know. Those are actually kind of my favorite style of mods. I hate. I don't say hate. Hate's a strong word. When Final Fantasy VII Remake, more on that later, Kat went to the Epic Game Store and people started talking about like costume mods for the characters. Like I just don't care about that. Like I really don't care about like cosmetic things or like. Now, now Aerith looks like a sailor scout or, or, or whatever. Like, but I like kind of mods that just tend to tweak uh, systems, not, not in a way where it's uh, obtrusive or anything like yeah, that, but kind of backboarding features. Like a non-obtrusive mod. That was like the most, you know, almost like the best words to hear. Like, thank you. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, the, like the only the only thing about costumes in this one is if you play like the Kingdom Hearts uh, games like on like Christmas or like Halloween, they'll like switch up the costumes for that holiday. That's it. Does the mod do that, or is that baked into the game? Uh, the mod does that. Oh, okay. That yeah. one's I think okay. That's interesting. Oh, wait, you, you the, yeah, I mean, like, if you're just playing it at the holiday, it's like okay. Yeah. <laughs> so wait, could you like switch? Like, let's just say that you're in the Toy Story world, and you could use that outfit in a different world. Is that possible? Something I, mean, like that? I mean, this isn't for Kingdom Hearts three, so there wouldn't be a Toy Story world. But but oh, I was just using. Yeah, Kingdom but yeah, but, but yeah, but like if you're like in another world and like you're playing on like Halloween, it'll be there. They'll be in their Halloween outfits for that world. That's so, on yeah. the fringe, but I think I'm okay with that because it's just for one yeah. day and it's just for fun. Yeah. And it's optional anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, a couple other features that are up on the site. Uh, this is one that uh, I for- I think James brought it up on one of the previous episodes of the podcast. We've talked a few times in a few different contexts about the uh, about receiving the Steam Deck, his time with it, some of the games he's played on it. Uh, he's put up a list of some of the best RPGs to go play on the Steam Deck. So this includes games such as like Legend of Grimrock, Persona 4 Golden, which is on PC. More on that later. Uh, some of the Pixel remasters. Obviously, they don't have a Switch version, despite how seemingly perfect fit, fit it might be. But you can play those on Steam Deck. So, James, I don't know if you just wanted to give any other details about like what you decided to put on the list here and which ones are some of your absolute favorites that you think work perfectly with Steam Deck. So I, it was a kind of a tough uh, article to make because I didn't want to do like a, an article that was every single RPG playable on Steam Deck. That would be unwieldy. Um, but at the same time, I wanted it to be like a little bit curated, like anything that's like Steam Deck verified, which is uh, Valve's uh, um, classification for it or Steam Deck playable, which is, again, something that Valve has specifically tested and says this works well i have a list for those but then there's so many games that are listed as unsupported or untest more untested that work perfectly fine like uh one example in the article is uh trails in the sky uh for a while it did it had issues with its movies but a recent proton update made it so that all of the like fmvs work perfectly fine no issues so there is merit in like actually sitting down and testing games because just because they were unsupported when they were tested originally doesn't mean necessarily that they're still not going to work and that sort of thing. Yeah, Trails in the Sky is kind of a good a one of because of uh, the third game being, at least in English, PC only. Mm-hmm. So you don't get the, the Vita Switch experience for most of that series, but you can play Trails 3 on Steam Deck. I mean, obviously, it's kind of, you know, that's a kind of a hardware, you know, hurdle that you have to, you know, monetarily overcome. But at least you can kind of get that handheld experience with that in that way. But that 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 article might be seeing some updates in the, in the recent future, in the near future, with some uh, things both that came to Steam and are coming to Steam mm. in the future. <laughs> God, mm. yeah, I need to update it. And then the last feature we have up on the site, this is actually kind of ties a little bit into the t- discussion about mods earlier, uh, is we got up a, re- a new review for the Switch version of Star Wars The Knights of the Old Republic 2. I, don't know, I had an extra the there. Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic 2. So uh, Scott White, again, was able to put up a review for this. He did review the Switch port of Knights of the Old Republic 1 uh, last year. And basically, he thinks that this is the best way to experience Knights of the Old Republic 2. At least I believe that he uh, stated it that clearly. Uh, he think, he feels really strongly about the game. Uh, he thinks that it's a really fun way to play it. 
if you don't have access to a PC that has all the uh, the PC version was updated and like tweaked to work with you know HD displays and things like that back in like 2016. Uh, but not everyone has access to a, P- a good PC even to play a, a game from a few several years ago. But thought that the Switch version of the game was really good. I don't know if he specifically covered the uh, the like the mod aspect of it as much. He looks like he kind of mostly covered just the base out. game. It's hmm? not. It's not out yet. The, the, oh, okay. Well, that explains why he mostly covered <laughs> he, he the base may, game. Yeah, he meant he mentions it that it'll be coming, but they obviously he couldn't because it's not out yet. So uh, he, I do, I do know that he mentioned. I forget if this. I, I don't know if this actually got covered in his review, but he like accidentally like activated like a a debug mode while he was playing it. So that was kind of fun. <laughs> that was kind of fun to witness from the side. Like That's he was really able to like, move, move the camera and like give himself infinite health or, or things like that. And we were talking about no, the original game had some cheats or whatever we think, but no, he had, he had some he had somehow gotten to like the debug mode, which is always kind of fun when you have pre-release access to these games and you can kind of get uh, work around the edges like that. But yeah, Nice Old Republic 2, I think it's one of my favorites. Um, for a, several, a couple of years ago, we did like our Games of the Decade feature. And this it, that could have been... Oh, no, that wouldn't have been. That would have been too old. If we did Games of the of the Millennia feature, it would have been one that I could potentially have put up on there. It's one of my games favorites. Games of so. our entire lifetime. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. So that is the, uh, the last feature I wanted to shout, up, uh, shout out for being up on the site. The Romancing Saga feature uh, from Adam. Uh, not not quite a feature, but a good, really nice, solid, thorough reporting on the mod feature for the Kingdom Hearts PC games. Uh, we might just tag it over to be a feature now. Why not? Uh, and then James has put uh, his list of playable on the Steam Deck, apparently soon to be updated, and the Switch review for Star Wars Nintendo Republic 2. Man, it's been a busy week. And speaking of, we kind of preluded to this at the end of the podcast last week. We kind of knew all the events that were going to be coming up in the in the previous seven days. And one of the which that we had circled on our calendars was the, I hope I get this right, Final Fantasy VII 25th anniversary stream event from Square Enix, where we were expecting news for what is in the future for the remake series uh what are other aspects of the project that are going to be announced we obviously have the ever crisis game that we're waiting for more information of uh the main headline here obviously if you're listening to this you're likely already aware but we're going to cover it anyways is that they announced final fantasy 7 rebirth it is the second part of the remake confirmed to be a trilogy and final fantasy 7 rebirth will release next winter so that's either late 2023 or early 2024. Uh, next oh, winter, I, only for the PlayStation 5. So, yeah, only for PS5. And we got a new trailer to go along with it. The The trailer is kind of an interesting take on it because it's a first look trailer, very much a teaser type trailer. It's 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 a decent length. It's a minute and a half. But it's most the most interesting part of the trailer is the like the narration over it, the voiceover. I guess people before we continue for people who didn't complete FF Seven oh, yeah. mm-hmm. it's it this this is like inherently a shitload of spoilers for that. We're sorry, but it's hard to talk about this game without acknowledging yeah. what you know happened in the in the remake. So maybe skip ahead a little um, if you, if you don't want to hear that part of it. All right, everyone everyone here is okay with spoilers uh, of at least the conclusion of the first game. So the first game obviously covered the Midgar section of Final Fantasy VII with a twist involving these, oh, I forget their official name in game, the ghost creatures. Um, oh, I forget man, the wraths? I'm, wraiths? I'm, I'm blanking on what they're called in game. But basically, whenever the story uh, was, was seeming to diverge from the original narrative, they were there to bring the cast on back on track um including this is kind of the most funniest part of the game in retrospect including when barrett 
fucking dies and then gets revived because yep. he's, he's not supposed to die yet at the end. Uh, but then at the end of the game, they like overtake uh, Midgar. You have this giant battle against this like apparition of destiny. Uh, it feels so silly to try to say this straight lays. But basically, uh, the reason why th- th- there's a tagline at the end of the Final Fantasy VII remake that says the unknown journey will continue, ba- ba- effectively alluding to the fact that based on the conclusion of Final Fantasy VII remake, the part one of the trilogy, now they are no longer shackled to history or destiny as it was written. So basically, yeah, yeah. the second and third part of the game are seemingly now in universe allowed to diverge more greatly than the original remake game did. So it's kind of like a weird situation too, because there's already people in the cast that already have like mm-hmm. info of like the original events of the final of Final Fantasy VII as it originally like unfolded, mm-hmm. like Eris, for example, or no, it's our Aerith. I'm sorry, I still uh, glor- by yeah, Aerith. I know. Uh, yeah. it's, it's hard it's hard but yeah yeah well so it's, just Aerith, it's, weird... it's i don't quite get like if she knows for a fact the history or if it's more just kind of like feelings or premonitions that she has i don't know like how lucid she is in terms of like does she have explicit knowledge of events or more just a feeling of how things should be or how things are i guess i don't uh, quite i i feel it's in the latter i feel like the time the live stream because she can read it and it somehow synchronized and has visions from all different timelines and that's why she kind of acts like a know-it-all maybe. yeah I, I feel yeah i feel like she's like made contact with the original <laughs> about like like this is what's gonna happen it's like oh wow that's weird um <laughs> uh, but yeah it's 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 such an interesting like like you said it's such an interesting trailer not to, not so much of like the visuals it's like okay that's same things are happening for sure but the narration is like it really the makes visual, you think of the visuals like, the are things. mostly Cloud and Sephiroth Cloud. just walking. Like, honestly, yeah. that's, that's pretty much it. Uh, and, you know, obviously the game's going to be more open. It has to be. Uh, we're out of Midgar now. So who knows exactly what they're going to do to the structure of the game. Uh, and, and then at like, the f- f- final part of it, you see Zack uh, carrying uh, Cloud on his shoulders uh, before it gets to, you know, the, the title of the game. And, and, you, and, of course, at the end of Remake, you know, we see that Zach is alive in in, in this. Uh, yeah, so, that's, so I'm, I'm making sure I have all my events together. So obviously, at the end of the remake, you see you know a shot that suggests Zach's alive, and at the end of this trailer, we see a shot of Zach and Cloud arriving at Midgar. When before it was at the, if I remember, at the end of Crisis Core, it's Cloud like dragging the sword to Midgar. Yeah, like after he just gets gifted to it from a. Oh yeah, Crisis Core spoilers too, I suppose. Uh, Wow, it's, it's it's difficult like you, it's, yeah. you're just gonna have to well, you got to roll with it go go on it's hard well, to talk I, about fantasy without its spoilers but the thing the thing is i don't think we spoiled the biggest twist of them all so that's all that matters well now i'm curious Which what one? you're referring to are, are you talking like sephiroth <laughs> no the biggest twist in the final fantasy franchise or final fantasy 7 is is klaus true identity oh okay rather than everyone feels like the biggest you know, spoiler in FF7 is the end of this one. Uh, I feel that's more like shock value than than story mm-hmm. purposes, right? All right, so I pulled up a YouTube video of the end of Crisis Core. More on that later. Uh, where, yeah, Cloud is just fucking dragging the Buster Sword in Midgar after he just gets gifted it to him by dying Zack. Like, you just take care of that thing, man. But obviously at the then, end of this new trailer then, like, for within Final Fantasy... An hour, within an hour of Final Fantasy VII, you buy a better sword anyway. 
Mm. Well, that's just that's just for like gameplay convenience. I know, like, I know. Uh, but but uh, obviously, at the end of Rebirth trailer, it shows Cloud and Zach like arriving at Midgar together. So yeah, mm-hmm. but at least I feel like in the remake that the Buster Sword's still useful for the for the end of the game. Yeah, on Why a gameplay standpoint, I actually really enjoyed that about remake. One of my like remake. Uh, I reviewed it. I gave it an eight, but I actually like from a gameplay standpoint, I really loved how the combat worked in that game, how the equipment worked in that game in terms of like you end up with like six weapons for each character and they're all have different uses. They're like all I won't say they're all viable, but at the end of the game, there's no clear best. Well, maybe now that people like crunch the numbers, maybe they're mathematically is, but there's no like overtly. This is the ultimate weapon of the game. You have to use this. Just use whichever one you want. Not going to lie. Speaking of reviews for this game, I don't know, like, like the people just did we play different games like every time i remember when the game first came out a lot of people in our discord chat give it like a six or or a seven out of ten i feel like this game is almost perfect it's just, it's, it's just, it's just different expectations right because mm-hmm. like when, when, especially because i was talking with a, a friend like the, the other day and like they're still 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 they're still bitter about like how the remake project is going because people there's still a lot of people that like wanted like a one-to-one straight remake of ff7 and that's what they were expecting and then remake by the end of it, it is very much not that. And Rebirth, from what we see, it is very much not going to be that. Nope. It is its own very different thing. Yeah, and, we... to, and to to me, as I've already played those games, even though, like I know those those people have already played those games, but for me, like I think that's more interesting that they're doing a separate, different thing. I'm like, in the same boat too. I don't want to play the same game again. I played this like a million times. So with better graphics, well, we could just mod it, you know. It's well, by the like, way, I still think like I played Final Fantasy VII on the PC version, which isn't a perfect version of the game, uh, before the remake came out, so I could like be as like so I can make the comparison more educatedly. That's not a word. Yeah, uh, as yeah. I could. Final Fantasy VII, I still think is a great game, and you should play it uh, if you can. Yeah. If you're if you're able to acclimate to the fact that it was developed over two decades ago but as for like uh the remake i'm actually totally on board with it changing the only thing about the uh remake part one that i just thought it was a little bit too backloaded like they basically like welcome to chapter 18 you know motherfucker and then like 30 it's like the next 30 minutes are just like completely wild maybe some people like that but i wish they kind of ramped up to it a little more it's just that it it just kind of bends a ton in like the last 30 minutes of the game last hour of the game uh, which I thought they could have paced a bit better, but I really I feel like if they uh, deleted the Hojo's lab, I feel like the game would have been Hojo's so lab was a bit yeah like we got to have a dungeon here uh, that that was a little bit meh. Like go back through the sewers to find the oh yeah Leslie's okay Le- girlfriend or Leslie yeah like, Leslie's fiance uh... who died who was never named and then you got to fight Asp Apis or whatever his name again. I don't want to nitpick though. I love the game. I'm really looking forward to Rebirth and yeah, and then you know just to just to reiterate that like it was compared by Nomura, Hamaguchi, and Kitase that yes, this is a this remake project is a trilogy, three parts, and they're already working on the final game as well as they're developing this one. So, so who wants to bet where the game's gonna end? And I I don't know. It's probably gonna be somewhere new. There, there's no, I feel like it's impossible to to. If they're trying, like, I don't know how this game like still sticks with the original FF7. If they're gonna make it diverge this much, I have like, no idea. You feel like end. the ending of this rebirth is gonna end somewhere completely different that we have no idea where it is. I think so. I think or so. Or do do people want to speculate it will end at the this one of the original PS1 game? I, I think this will be totally by the end of this, it'll be unrecognizable by the to the to the original FF7. 
that's, I'm, that's I'm trying to think like maybe the part of the game like the thing is, is like based on how far we were able to get in game one like how can they make this a trilogy so the pacing is gonna have to change slightly but there's also stuff like the huge materia like stuff they could almost cut that entirely i don't think that really adds anything to the game so if they like diverted from that i'm not gonna be like how dare they not be faithful i want to fight on a train as sid or fine or whatever uh but Maybe like the section of the game where if uh, obviously this is making tons of assumptions on how the plot will even play out, but where you have to play as Tifa for a bit because Cloud is, you know, uh, injured and, you know, out of, out for the count for, for a bit, I guess spoilers for the original Final Fantasy seven uh, like that might work where like part three, you, you start playing as Tifa to get Cloud back on his feet. If they go that direction, even who the hell knows? Because now Zach's around. So like. Yeah. yeah, who who the hell knows? It's like maybe instead of playing as Tifa, uh, who, who takes like the proto protagonist role for a short bit in the original game, it'll be Zach instead. Uh, no I feel idea. Like he's trapped in the avid children universe. <laughs> That's what I'm getting from the trailers. Like he's going into the church, and everyone looks like they're like sick and ill. It's like, oh, he he just went to the avid children world by accident. And as we're talking about Rebirth, um, Alex Donaldson did put up another feature on the site that has kind of a, a, uh, a weird title. It's about how he's talking about the the story divergence possibilities with Kingdom Hearts, not Kingdom Hearts. I gave away the lead there <laughs> with uh, Final <laughs> Fantasy VII Rebirth going full Kingdom Hearts, which I think is kind of an eh title. Um, and... Because going Kingdom Hearts, I think, kind of has like a negative connotation to it, just in general, oh, even I for agree fans. With that as well. But reading this feature, Alex is a big Final Fantasy VII fan, and it's actually pretty accepting and uh, positive on what the possibilities are for the Final Fantasy VII remake trilogy. Uh, so if you if you see uh, if you saw our tweet, which got a little bit of traction on on social media about Final Fantasy VII remake trilogy going full Kingdom Hearts. Uh, I encourage you, if you're at all interested, to read past the title because the article is a bit more level-headed than the than the headline might suggest. It's also a lot more positive than the headline might suggest. Um, it's kind of talking about how this is kind of pretty much exactly what was set up in the first game, how it fits, uh, how it allows them, to, gives them the opportunity to to tell a twist on the story that people have been kind of admittedly wanting to see for a while. Uh, if things didn't have to have, have to happen in the way they did in the original game. So give that a read if you're interested. Figure it out, shout it out here uh, as we talk about the possibilities with Final Fantasy VII Rebirth. And we also kind of talked about this because it's you know inherently linked uh, alongside the announcement of Final Fantasy VII Rebirth. We also learned about Crisis Core Final Fantasy VII Reunion. This is an HD remaster of Crisis Core, which originally came out on PSP. And this remaster is coming out... Uh, for basically all consoles, including Nintendo Switch, uh, PC, PS5, PS4, Xbox. Is, has this been dated? I saw the trailer for this, but it has not been, as far as I can this tell. Winter. It's, this winter. Just, oh, so, Rebirth yeah. is next winter. This is this winter. Yep. Yeah. I like how next and this is still like, people don't always agree on, is this winter, next winter the same thing? Or no, next winter is the winter of 2023 into early 2024. All right. So this winter we'll have Crisis Core, Final Fantasy VII Reunion, uh, and kind of the most interesting thing about this is a just the direct comparison to the uh to the psp game uh the english cast has new voices to match their voices in the remaster uh, sorry in the um in the remake trilogy obviously this reintroduces everyone to Gen uh, genesis slash gact uh and then of course all the other crisis core characters and like i kind of said my memory of this game is a bit foggy so if this is kind of be kind of in key information for Final Fantasy VII Rebirth, 
I don't know. It's, it feels like pretty smart way to reintroduce what had happened in this game. Uh, it's so, the it, it, it's so weird. It's so weird for them to label this as a remaster because, like, it looks at, so like, different. It's very, yeah, it's very, it's very visually different. Very more high fidelity. The they definitely went back and redid fucking all the art assets in this fucking game, uh, and even like spruced up the battle system. Uh, so it's so weird to for them to label this as a remaster. Uh, I'm I I like Crisis Core, so I'm 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 excited for it. Um, uh, I always thought it was a, a very quirky game, but I, I like I like Zach's uh, character. So. What was I gonna say? Is this actually developed by CyberConnect, or is this actually in house no, by uh, in house? The, the, no, there's no CyberConnect on any of this. Oh man, I I, I heard like rumors that it was CyberConnect. It's like, oh, this is what Final Fantasy VII Remake would have looked funny. like if they were handling it. No, no, there's the, the, as far as we know, there's all in house with Square Enix at the moment. Um, but yeah, this is this this is gonna be you know um, also has the Japanese cast returning so. As you mentioned earlier, Brian, for people who are playing this in Japanese, they they will have to explain to their loved ones and to their friends who Gact is in the year 2022. Well, my my question is who who is gonna replace Reno's voice if they do redub it again? You know, I feel like they would just reuse the old lines for the Japanese version because Reno's a uh, voice actor passed away in the Japanese version. I'm not sure. I'm, I don't know if they'll, they'll recast him. Yeah, he uh, is super famous. So. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, at some point, if you need new lines, you can't recycle old lines. Yeah, that's true too. So, at the like, this would be the time to recast if you're going to go that direction, because because you're going to keep on using Reno in future projects. It's gonna you're gonna be stretched thin uh, on that. I remember the story being interesting and actually really enjoying even the goofy stuff with like Angel and Genesis and Sephiroth and things like that. But I remember the gameplay, like the, some of the dungeon type crawling sort of thing you do ended up being like really grindy. I remember you, you learn a skill like Cosmic Punch or Comet Punch or something like that, that I ended up just spamming all over the place because it was like the most effective way to, to do things. So I'm glad to hear that the combat was tweaked. Uh, yeah. Because yeah. I think it kind of needed it. I remember like in the at some points in the, in the original Crisis Core, like I just like, I don't want to battle. So there, there's like a viable strategy to just like hug the walls. Yeah. To, to, to skip battles it's never a good game. sign when you're like i'm yeah. enjoying oh. this game mostly but i want to avoid battles because they're not that fun yeah. i know this song that's what you do when you're doing palace of the dead in final fantasy 14 oh my god <laughs> the, the they it also like uh, people did mention like like angel's feather is in that rebirth uh trailer as well so hmm uh, <laughs> I was just gonna mm. say, I remember the original game so easy to exploit the material system. You become so like brokenly like strong in the original game. It's a bar fighting secret boss that is though. I hope they don't change the um the script at all because uh, there's some just le- legitimately funny moments that I think they should keep as they were. Yeah, okay, I'm excited to see. I'm, I'm excited to see Cisne in the, in this uh, new graphical style, updated graphical style. She, she's uh she's pretty cool. I like Cisne. Of course, now my brain is being very helpful. Like, me, Gaga. But yeah, so that, so that basically be uh, Square Enix's big offering for, for this year. Uh, and I think it's kind of a pretty interesting one because it's, you know, not only was Crisis Core never re- released off of PSP, but it was not even never digitally available. So you couldn't play on Vita. You couldn't play it on PSN, on PS3 or anything like that. Just a UMD oh, disc UMD. was the only way. Yep. Don't have a working PSP. You can't even play it on a TV or a Go or anything. It's that's the only way. We also got another trailer for this is one I'm actually legitimately kind of excited about. Uh, Final Fantasy VII Ever Crisis. This is the mobile 
compilation game with a tagline like another possibility for a remake or something like that. And what this kind of is, is a reimagining of the Final Fantasy VII compendium of games as they were, including the original game, including Crisis Core, including Dirge of Cerberus, including before Crisis, I think it was listed as being on there. So it's kind of like, as we knew it up until this trailer, it felt like a way to experience the story of Final Fantasy VII universe at a higher level without having to diverge to all the different consoles and gameplay types in, in a bite-sized format, uh, using some of the new assets from the um, from the remake, obviously dialed down for the mobile experience. And This is your turn-based, turn-based Final Fantasy right here, fans, right here, turn-based. I probably would just play this for the Before Crisis, since there's no easy way to play that game. And, and I'm no pretty sure they happened. said it has Before Crisis. Yeah, it does. Yeah, And Advent yeah. Children. Yep. And is all this more going to come out at once, or is this just like episode? This this, this, this is episodic, I think. I don't know exactly. Mm -hmm. They haven't really laid out exactly how it's going to be rolled out, but it's not going to be all at once for sure. Damn, that's going to take forever then. (laughs) It's targeting 2022 for a closed beta of some sort. Uh, We got a new trailer for it, and the trailer shows uh, gameplay sections from multiple games in the series. Uh, I both enjoy the 2D art of this game and kind of like the semi-cheapified, almost Kingdom Hearts 1-ish art for the 3D models. Uh, The combat looks more like Remake, of course, just with a little bit more um, uh, menu command-based sort of thing. And they they show some gameplay with Cloud and his like Advent Children outfit, uh, with uh, playing as Zack. Obviously, some familiar locations from the original Final Fantasy VII, including like the fight with Rufus on the Shinra rooftop. But then at the very end, this is a you know of course they did this. Uh, it's showing Cloud and Sephiroth heading to Nippleheim as part of that initial like major story event, Final Fantasy VII, which I guess hasn't happened yet in the remake. Uh, well, it's happened chronologically, but not gameplay wise. So. Near the very end of this trailer, in like the last 10 seconds, there's some interesting variations shown of the very popular event of Sephiroth standing in in front of the Wall of Fire, which just raises a whole bunch of other questions about Mm -hmm. what this is potentially going for, for its fork of the of the narrative. I don't know how how better else to to describe what was shown here. Uh, I guess I'll just say it as it was. If you haven't seen the trailer, it's it shows Sephiroth standing in front of the the, the burning city. Only as he's turning to face Cloud, uh, he it kind of like does the like record scratch on the VHS tape and replaces Sephiroth as we know him with a seemingly younger version of potentially himself, a character with you know silver hair, but it's much shorter, and it's. I don't know if it's been confirmed anywhere about who this is or what it's referring to or what what even when does that take place? Basically, it's the giant what the fuck at the very end of the Ever Crisis trailer saying that it might also take some liberties with the events as we knew them for this series. This is me shaking Say my fist now. at Nomura about like Nomura. <laughs> I don't know. No, is there any I, more? I anyway, more like, we, we don't even know if it's like if it's like the, the like Nomura's at fault or if it's like Katase that really wanted to diverge or, or Nojima. Like Nojima does it might be Nojima. I, I find it hilarious. No matter where you go, you read comments. It's they always blame Nomura for everything, even though if it's he's not the culprit, they'll still blame it on Nomura. <laughs> That's the hilarious part. For what, I mean, for what they, it's they, worth, they, my I, shaking fist was facetious. Like I'm I'm okay with them taking liberties like this. Go ahead, Josh. But you see, the you definitely see some of like the like a, a tiny bit of like what what the monetization of Ever Crisis is going to be because uh, we we're assuming that it's a free to play title. But you see, like throughout that trailer, that some people have like you know different outfits in it, so that might be part of a uh, part of it. Uh, might be like they've a, confirmed uh, what it is, like it's a weapon gotcha. 
Is that a, is that a weapon or a character gotcha? Uh, it's a character gotcha. They're, they're, where did they confirm that? I just saw it. Well, I saw a reset error thread uh, last night where they confirmed it. Oh, that'd be interesting to see how that shakes out then. Yeah, we, have there's a, there's, yeah, there's some, some scenes last, of Aerith in a different outfit and Tifa in a different outfit. Yeah, last I heard it was like weapon with uh, character skins, but I don't, I'm not exactly sure where the those sources are coming coming from. Well, we'll have the closed beta later this year, which might elucidate on some of that a little bit. So I don't know. I'm still excited for this. I, I, I guess I don't really have any reason to like. Well, if if I play it, I tried I tried like the near gotcha and it turned me off a bit. I'll try this, and if it's if it's too onerous, I'll just watch the cutscenes on YouTube or something. But I still think that this is an interesting project. Uh, I think it would be cool if it had like a PC release also. But right now, it's still listed just for mobile. Um, because I just need to refresh my memory on what I what exactly happened in Dirge of Cerebus and in uh, I never got to see like like Chow said before Crisis because that never came out officially in English. Well, funny you like mentioned that, that uh, the developers of this are are the ones behind. Uh, near as well, uh, Applebot. The, the, they uh, they made the near reincarnation. Oh no! This. So we'll see. <laughs> uh, and the the last piece of news from the Final Fantasy VII stream. And this might have actually been shown slightly beforehand. I'm not 100 percent sure. Uh, so Final Fantasy VII. This kicked off the event. Like this is the very right. first thing showed. So Final Fantasy VII Remake is now available on Steam as of yesterday as we record. So obviously it was on uh, Epic Game Store basically about exactly six months ago. So it seems like it was some sort of six-month exclusivity contract. Uh, now it's available on Steam. Don't know if it has any like significant performance differences between the Steam and the Epic version. Uh, no announcement of Xbox at all. I don't know if a significant number of people are waiting on that, but still seems to be not uh, not there quite yet. But cool to have it on Steam for those that have been waiting specifically for for that platform. I yeah. find it interesting for that trailer that they also have like the Steam Deck logo uh, as part of that trailer, and makes me think like I wonder if like more and more publishers and developers are going to start adding the Steam Deck logo for their upcoming game. And it's interesting yeah, because yeah. like even the even the the footnote during the trailer says now available on Steam and Steam Deck. The fact that they're like explicitly calling out is like almost like a separate platform entirely is well, an I interesting mean, take. I guess- I guess that is kind of the way to go about it because it's like just because it's on Steam doesn't necessarily mean that it's on Steam, well, like playable on Steam Deck. So, like pointing out that, yeah, no, this does work on Steam Deck. We tested it, it's verified, it'll be a good experience is something worth mentioning when you're discussing game platforms, I feel like. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I find the most hilarious thing is like all my friends bought this game again just so that they don't have to deal with the Epic Game Store. <laughs> I, I bought it also. Like there's discounts to, to bring it down to forty bucks. So I was like, ah, okay, fine. I guess I'll buy it again. I I I only ever got the the base release and the DLC on PS4. So I never got it on Epic Game Stores. Maybe I want a little. Part of me is like wondering, should I get it on Steam? But since Final Fantasy VII Rebirth is coming to PS5 for only first again, I'm guessing it feels like in a year and a half or whatever. We'll just be doing the same uh, the same song second verse where it'll release on PS5 and then maybe on Epic again and then on Steam later. Well, I don't know if the it, cadence it, it, will be any different. that they're developing for PS5, not PS4 this time around, so we'll actually get to see like what their what their vision is for just well, like, well, I'm not so sure because the fact that they're like going out of their way to like shout out Steam Deck, maybe they don't want to go with Epic anymore. If it's like maybe they think there's more benefit in trying to push for a Steam Deck support or something rather than taking the epic cash for uh, keeping it off Steam for a bit. 
I, I, I feel the same thing too, though. I feel like this whole series got botched because of exclusivity. You know, I feel like if they actually didn't do exclusivity deal, I feel this game would have been a massive hit. But now we're locked into a PS5. Like, I mean, we're not, how many people are going to have a PS5 next year? Is it going to be a lot? Like, even at the end of the PS4 cycle, I don't feel like the install base is large enough to specify the exclusivity for for Rebirth. That's for that's my take on it. Well, we obviously yeah. don't know the, the financials in terms of like how much is Sony offering, how much is Epic offering, uh, in terms of like minimum. It used to be I don't remember if this was officially confirmed or if it was just scuttlebutt, but like the way that the Epic offering worked is that it was like they paid for a minimum sales like guarantee regardless of how well it sold on epic they would get like the the revenue as if they had sold some minimum value don't know for certain if that was ever confirmed that was like during the height of the steam versus epic hoopla stuff. it's also worth considering that developing for a single platform at a time might just be the best way to get all of these games out quicker because Maybe. like I would not be shocked with the uh, release window for this being late 2023. There is a chance that we get the third part in 2025. A slim chance because it's like a three-year gap between the original um, part one and part two. And if if part three is also going to be PS5 exclusive, most of those assets are going to be done. Mm -hmm. So who knows? And they did. We mentioned this very briefly in passing, but they did confirm that they are have started on part three as well. So I'm hoping that the cadence will pick up. And like you said, the fact that the assets, at least a good chunk of them, have largely been created should hopefully mean that we're not waiting as long between parts two and three. But also Square Enix. Yeah. <laughs> Can we just appreciate that next year we're going to have three mainline Final Fantasy releases? Because uh, next year will end up being uh, 7.0 for 14 as well. What's the third? Uh, 16. All right, uh, I'm so dumb. 7.0 for next year? Is it that early? I don't. It, it, every two years. Oh my god, has it been that long? It, it, might, be, it, only, it might be December it, of next year. Yeah, but yeah. yeah, it, yeah, it only feels like it's sooner because Endwalker came out in December. So I... Yeah. Uh, to wrap up the, uh, or I guess before I just decide that we move on. Uh, so based on all the books from Final Fantasy VII trailers that we saw, Ever Crisis, Reunion, Rebirth, uh, Remake on Steam. I don't know, just any other final comments on this? I think obviously this is pretty much everything that fans were asking for, and it's a, a lot to get excited about. It's, uh, it was a surprise. I'm very glad that it was like a like good, succinct stream. Like, like the, it was like barely like 13 14 minutes long it's like this is what we have and yeah peace out like that mm-hmm. it was it was a really good anniversary celebration for the fans of ff7 that they... it's a very effective stream in my opinion but if you show Meanwhile, things that, if... at capcom oh we'll on that later uh, yeah we'll, we'll get we'll get to that later but yeah go on chow so it's a very effective stream because if if there wasn't like if you keep showing games that people don't r- really interest about, they kind of zone out, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I feel like that's what happened to Guardian of the Galaxy. It, I mean, it was a good game. Amazing game, even. But it's just, you know, people weren't really that interested at that time for it. So people just tune out for that entire stream. Yeah, but I, I'm, I'm excited to succeed, just like where they're going to take the FF7 the Rebirth 
how how much more wild they're gonna go. And also, like, I'm I'm really curious to see how they've really touched up Crisis Core. That's I'm, that that was an interesting one to bring back. I, I, it, it, it makes me it makes me think like if they're gonna bring back Crisis Core, uh, do they have like any plans to bring back Dirge of Cerberus? Mm-hmm. Let's not go there, guys. <laughs> I'm thinking bet, guys. Let's see if this ever comes through. I'll say that Aerith is the last boss of the Final Fantasy Remake series. <laughs> well, podcast, it, it, we can go back to it. I'm, I don't know if anyone's going to remember that because that we might not see that for another like seven or eight years, dude. Yeah, but I'm just going to say this in this podcast All and right. we can use that as a reference. All right. We'll, we'll, we'll remember to come back here. Okay. <laughs> So two uh, two other small pieces of Square Enix news that were announced uh, along not at the Final Fantasy VII event, just also this week that we're just bundling here for convenience. Well, this one's actually not really news that was announced from Square Enix. This is just I don't know. I'll just announce it. So uh, eagle-eyed patrons of the PlayStation Network noted that there is now a listing for Tactics Ogre Reborn, which is something that a lot of us have been eagerly wondering when we will see in an official capacity due to the fact that it the title at least had leaked a long time ago alongside all the other uh, NVIDIA GeForce leaks from uh, from last year. Tactics Ogre Reborn has a new page, had a new page on the PlayStation Network alongside uh, a new logo for the game, alongside some artwork, and uh, enough to really kind of get excited on knowing that it's real, kind of not confirmed really, but all but confirmed as close as it can possibly get outside of an official announcement from Square Enix itself. And I do know that Tactics Ogre uh, Let us cling together is a w- one of the favorites for for Adams particularly, but is a you know a well regarded game outright. And maybe I'll just hand it off to Adam if you're really excited for Reborn. If what you saw from a short little snippet from the uh, from the leak on the PlayStation Network is got you more excited or less excited, or if you're still just kind of in waiting for more official news. Well, when it was in the NVIDIA GeForce Now leak, it was called just Tactics Ogre Remaster, I think, um, and then like. When that leak first came out, people were wondering how reliable is this and whatnot. And, you know, the further we go, the more and more spot on it feels. Um, you know, really revealing games like ActRaiser and Voice of Cards and Chrono Cross and, all, and everything. So um, now we, or I guess I should say a few months later, there was a trademark for Tactics Ogre Reborn. And that was like kind of like fuel to the fire. Like, oh, it was in the GeForce League. Uh, now we have a trademark, and now we have a store page. So it's just kind of like, like you said, we're pretty much all but confirmed that it's coming. Well, the um, store page seems to be dead now, but everyone's already oh, grabbed all the assets from yeah. it. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, the, the store page didn't have like any like text. It literally said "dummy." Um, but we have, but it had like the key art and the logo. So like, f- first of all, we're sort of wondering: is it like a new tactics ogre or whatnot? I know it said remaster in the Nvidia leak. The art clearly shows characters from Let Us Cling Together, like Denim and Ketua and. Yeah, Vice. It's a very yeah, first uh, meeting. So it, 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 yeah. it feels like it's going to be another version of Tactics Ogre. Now, is it going to be like a full, like from the ground up remake, or is it going to be just like a really touched up Let Us Cling Together from the PSP version? Not sure. Uh, yeah, we didn't see any gameplay, just just on yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. We, we're not sure about the platforms. Like, it was obviously in the GeForce Now leak, so it's like PC, PS4, probably. Switch, maybe who knows? Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> Poor Xbox. Um, so, like, Why? in terms of like when might this get announced, Square Enix usually holds like a Square Enix presents in the summer. They they did the Final Fantasy VII event, obviously, and like maybe that's it. 
So, like, if this game were to get announced soon, would it be announced at an event? Maybe at a Nintendo Direct, because they haven't had one yet? Who knows? But, um, yeah, I'm excited for it. I really, really like Let Us Come Together on the PSP. Um, I think it's a pretty much an all-timer. There's only just a few things about it that I would ask them to change. Like, for example, this is probably the biggest one. When you get a new class in that game, it comes at level one. Whereas even if your characters, because in, in Tactics Ogre, you level up classes and not characters. And uh, even if your classes are like level 30 or 40, uh, you get a new class that's level one, you pretty much have to just baby them for a bit to make them viable. Like, okay, I guess I get her take my level one class and have them throw rocks at these guys to gain experience. And it's just like, have them come in at some average level or something, you know, just payouts on the TDM, things like that. That's like the only thing. Um, I wonder, like, are they going to add voice acting? I kind of hope they don't. <laughs> uh, the Sega Saturn like, version has voice acting. Yeah, but... Come on, we have Koyasu as Lance. Okay, come <laughs> on. Is that a... Is Koyasu a Dio? Is that the right yes, it's just Dio's okay. voice. He plays um, uh, Lancelot, Hamilton. And... I'm assuming Dark Lancelot? Or actually Light no, or the Dark Lancelot is voiced by uh, Sho Hayami. If anyone knows who Sho Hayami is, he plays yeah. usually sinister bad guys. But yeah, I like how Chow is just an absolute fountain of like. Uh, <laughs> I, I love Japanese, I love Japanese voices. Okay, I, I I love it. So I'm wondering, just like, wow, we're basically just waiting for the official announcement now. So pretty much, yeah. this will come at any time. You know, well, we know it exists. What if, what if Square Enix just announces this with a press release? You know, Maybe. no, they, they just, it, they just it, do the it. most Square Enix thing ever. Like, oh, okay, <laughs> I guess. But I also feel like. What is it? Because of um, what is it? Uh, what's that game called again? Uh, Triangle Strategy. I feel like that was like to test their HD tactics market and to see if this is viable and they could go full development on it. I feel like they probably use the same kind of approach, like HD two D, maybe. Speaking of, thank you, Joe. No, no more really to talk about for Tactics Ogre Reborn. Obviously, we'll. Whenever an official announcement is made in any capacity, we'll let you know. Hopefully, it accompanies a trailer to give us some indication of what sort of remaster it is or remake if it is. Uh, but alongside, we also learned that Octopath Traveler Champions of the Continent, this is the mobile follow-up to Octopath Traveler that released in Japan uh, back in 2020. Uh, you can now pre-register to be notified for its release in North America and Europe on July 27th. So speaking of HD2D, this is, you know, Octopath Traveler's follow-up. It seems to have been pretty darn successful in Japan. We had to wait a while in order to get it officially in English, but late July is getting pretty packed, and including for Octopath Traveler fans who wanted to try out uh, this game. It is a gotcha game for, uh, in some in some regards, so that immediately kind of makes me a little bit wary. It does make a couple different changes with the, with the narrative structure and with the gameplay structure that I think are quite interesting. The fact that you can get like eight eight characters on the battle at once, only they switch out in like teams. I think it's pretty cool. They've they've of course collaborated with Nier uh, in Japan because why not? I don't know if if Josh, you did you play the the Japanese version of this game at all? Uh, only very little because it's very no. such a narrative heavy game that I was like I don't really want to try to wade through this uh, in Japanese, especially mm -hmm. because like. But yeah, I I know that I'm familiar with the de developers. Um, they're very much going for the another Eden style of narrative structure, where like it does feel like like a single player RPG, just like you do have to gotcha for characters. But that's not to say that like you're trying to like always get like higher rarity characters. Some of like the lower rarity ones can be leveled up and be viable and be very useful for certain team comps. Um, people who played it 
the Japanese version seem to really like it and the way that they're um unveiling like you know the story like it, I think it's already done with like its first arc of these three villains and they're onto the next arc in Japan and people have generally uh, been like very on board with what they're doing so I'm interested to get uh, giving it a shot hopefully I don't know I don't know when because it's coming out during a busy period but I do want to uh, try it out well, that pretty much covers us for everything Square Enix from the last week. So uh, uh, there was whole lot- one other tiny small thing. Oh, what was, what was uh, this? What other released, tiny small they, thing? They released like the final two era trailers for Live Alive. Oh, right. Aha. So. Yes. The present day and the, what was the other one? Distant Future, where you Try play it. as a little robot named Cube, who is definitely a sphere. <laughs> Obviously, that is coming out in like basically almost exactly a month, a month and a few days. Yeah, coming out basically at the same time as that Octopath. Good job, Square Enix. And Digimon and Xenoblade. It's going to be a busy time. So there's a couple other different sorts of showcases in the last week. We're going to move on to this one, which I think everyone kind of knew what we wanted to get out of this. And uh, this is the Capcom 10 Years of Dragon's Dogma digital event. No, so, that, 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 that's wrong. The first, there what? was a Capcom showcase at the very beginning of the week, like on Tuesday or Monday. And then the 10 Years of Dragon's Dogma digital event was a separate event that happened on Thursday. Oh, okay. I was just jumping to that event because I think that was the more interesting one. Um, well, that, that'd, be, that'd be weird because the Capcom showcase came out first and had really big news for Monster Hunter Rise Sunbreak mm, people. Okay. Maybe I'm just less interested in Monster Hunter, but we can go to that first. He's like, nah, fuck. Well, I, I don't like Sunbreak. I'm already like, I already, I'm already aware of it. I'm ready for it. My, my Hunter's ready. It's releasing in a few weeks. And this is right. actually really big news people for like for the people following it. This is actually really big news for the people who like Monster Hunter. That's all right. Crazy. So, all right. So what was shown what was shown for Monster Hunter Sunbreak at the Capcom showcase, Josh? They, 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 they when the Capcom showcase first started, they went straight to Sunbreak news and they confirmed a lot of shit that's really, really exciting for Monster Hunter fans coming to Sunbreak. They unveiled that the Jungle Lookout's coming back and that was uh, introduced at the second generation of Monster Hunter titles, which had two, Freedom 2 and Freedom Unite. Uh, that's a really, really iconic locale for people who've played Monster Hunter for a long time. Um, they also confirmed a lot of returning monsters, really big monsters coming back, like Gormagala from 4, which is uh, really one of the most popular monsters for Monster Hunter uh, coming back. So that was really, really exciting. And then the one that really caught a lot of people off guard, everyone off guard pretty much, is Espinas from Monster Hunter Frontier, which is a b- Monster Hunter Frontier was a uh, MMO uh, game for Monster Hunter that was never released in the West. So, like, for a lot of Western players, this is going to be the first time they're going to be fighting Espinas, uh, you know, no matter... Well... For, for a uh, lot of them. Oh, yeah. I thought you were going to say it's going to be their first time fighting a Frontier monster. I was going to be no. like, nah, if you, have, if you played World now, but... No. The, but but for, I said for a lot of people, it's going to be their first time fighting Espinas because they've never played Frontier, yeah. most likely. Um, and yeah, and even James, you know, wrote a feature explaining why Espinas is coming back, and that's a major deal. You want to go into that for a little, James? Yeah, the gist of it is is that uh, back when Monster Hunter was still very relatively new, uh, Freedom Unite, a lot of the new monsters they added were Frontier inspired, or well, not Frontier inspired, but it, like most of the new content was very explicitly from Frontier. Like the Great Forest map in Freedom Unite was originally a map in Monster Hunter Frontier. 
Hypnocatrice uh, was a monster in Frontier. Lavasyov was a monster in Frontier. And uh, apparently, Espinus was originally, like, intended for Free Me Night, but at the time, so many uh, Frontier players were like, wait, so what are we paying, paying a subscription for if all of our best monsters are just going to come to the mainline games? And uh, so... It's been over a decade since Freedom Unite, and that was the only time we ever saw Frontier content in the mainline games. So it's really fascinating that we're that now that Frontier is dead, we're finally getting a Spinus, and it's like, huh, I wonder if that means we, we might see even more Frontier content be brought into the mainline. Because I do know that a lot of people at the time kind of... Uh, weren't huge fans of the way that Frontier kind of handled things. They felt that monsters were too flashy, that the move set moves were too flashy. But the funny thing is, is that the mainline series is kind of caught up to Frontier in that sense. So it makes a lot of sense that the more grounded Frontier monsters might be brought over because they'd be a great fit. Yeah. And uh, also they, they uh, showed off the subspecies subspecies for uh the daimyo hermitar and pyre rachna kadaki and that those look really cool and then the, uh they released the demo earlier this week on june 14th um so people can try that out now uh they can fight against Stalos and uh, the new flagship monster malzino in it um so and, and try out like some of the new switch skills and the switch skill swap mechanic in that um also to, to round it off they uh, announced the roadmap for Monster Hunter Rise Sunbreak, and one of the very first things they're bringing to it in free title updates, um, they're bringing back uh, Lucent Narkakuga from Monster Hunter 3 Ultimate, uh, along with the Forlorn Arena map. And that really caught me off guard, because you don't see Lucent Narkakuga that much uh, in Monster Hunter, so that's really exciting to me. So... To me, when I, when I saw this news, I'm like, this is freaking awesome. Uh, a, a lot of people, like, a lot of people were kind of like, eh, on Sunbreak, like, it's cool that it's coming. But I think people really, 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 like, got excited for it once this new uh, batch of info came out. And once they, like, kind of gave a better idea of, like, okay, we're really pulling out all the stops for Sunbreak. I saw, I heard something about, like, the demo that's now available. That you have only, like, 10 minutes to fight Malzeno or something like that, which is actually quite tough. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, they, they usually do like uh, for the demos that they release for Monster Hunter, they usually like there's usually a super tough quest that is like a, a really strict time limit against like the flagship, like the one for Rise. Uh, the you had like a strict time limit against Magnamalo in that one, so um, yeah, a, a lot of people have been a lot of people are, get, are getting caught off guard with Malzino because it is a different kind of monster than like it you're expecting. When you first see it. And obviously we'll have our impressions on that soon because it's only a few weeks away from release. And I can't believe Brian was like, but just like, yeah, monster. So I didn't obviously have the, the knowledge of the, uh, the frontier, uh, connection to that. Sorry. Maybe you can, maybe I just gave away what I was more interested in. Um, so yeah, also at the, also like, you know, we're going to get, you're going to get to it, but like also at the Capcom showcase, they had Itsuno there, saying, hey, there's going to be uh, 10 years of Dragon's Dogma digital event happening in two days. Uh, Dragon's Dogma was crazy, wasn't it? Peace out. That's all he did at the Capcom Showcase earlier in the week. Now you can go to what you're going to say. 
So they had a, a, a short little digital event for the Dragon's Dogma 10 year anniversary celebration. And obviously I'm not gonna I'm not gonna bury the lead. There people are really excited. Is this where we hear about Dragon's Dogma 2? They have a new website, they have a new Twitter account. I think they had a new they had a new Instagram page or like a new like I don't know, Snapchat or something. Are we gonna get Dragon's Dogma 2? Well, after about 10 minutes and uh, 10 fun minutes of like talking about the development of the game uh, and concept art of the original game and you know some new foot some footage from that they were all wearing like zip up shirts they they reveal underneath that they were wearing t-shirts with a new logo for Dragon's Dogma 2 is in development and that's pretty much all we got but I think it's all we needed and all maybe most of us expected got a new logo did not get any information about release screenshots uh, platforms anything like that but I don't. I think that everyone's completely on board and stoked just to know that Dragon's Dogma Two exists and is a thing. Uh, Hideki Itsuno is still going to be the director. Uh, we all, it also carries over the talent from the original game. Uh, Daigo Ikeno as the art director and Kenichi Suzuki as the project lead. So basically, Dragon's Dogma Two is in development. It's got Dragon's Dogma veterans on it. It's going to be using the RE engine, which is kind of not a surprise because it seems like everything Capcom does nowadays is on the RE engine, and RE engine has proven to be basically super versatile and i don't think anyone's gonna have any qualms with anything they do using that engine it seems like uh my I, one I go for it i'm gonna say my one request for dragon's dogma 2 is separate out stamina and mp in some fashion because dragon's dogma 1 like there's a stamina meter that you can use to cast spells and like sprint and it i remember actually when i played the game on pc speaking of mods uh that are intrusive I, when I last played Dragon's Dogma back in like 2018 on PC, I released on PC in like 2016, 17, something like that. I, I downloaded a mod that gave you infinite run stamina just because otherwise you're huffing and puffing uh, as you run across the map before you have the access to get like the waypoint stones, like the black stones you get. Uh, so maybe some tweaks to the magic system there. But other than that, I think that Dragon's Dogma has already got a lot of unique different gameplay flavors with the pawn system, with the the climbing on monsters. And of course, the spell casting is still some of the most impressive like magic systems to date in an RPG. Uh, so if it's just more of the same, only tuned up for with a with, you know, a, a, the new engine and a new decade of know how from the developers, I'm totally on board. Yeah, um, I, I hope they keep the identity of Dragon's Dogma. Don't try to like have a spin on like what like a souls like or whatever or yeah kind of lead me in that direction i want them to keep what made dragon's dogma unique and i know it's you know like you know i i have faith in that man he's uh he's a wonderful individual a very talented uh game director when it comes to like fulfilling like what like pers- like keeping the identity of like a series like devil may cry um intact I I thought like that ten years of uh, of Dragon's Dogma event was really cool also because like I know a lot of people came there for the Dragon's Dogma two announcement, but like uh, like the lead up to it was really really neat because Itsuno was talking about like you know his first like interaction of like a role playing game like through D and D tabletop style uh, games and how he got, entered Capcom and how Street Fighter two was like a really really big inspiration for, like from an action game standpoint and that's how he came to appreciate and love action games and you know he worked on uh stuff like star gladiators and uh rival schools so like try to like get those different inspirations from past projects and come and try to make something totally new in the rpg you know genre uh was a really really interesting thing especially like when you when you were like conceptualizing like you know if there's gonna be really big enemies in these games that you keep like sending us we don't want the uh, players to just like keep on slashing the feet we want them to be able to do like interact more with the monsters 
So that's what brought about, you know, being able to climb monsters in the first Dragon's Dogma. Uh, and also, like, you know, they wanted something, like, offline but online, and, like, how they conceptualized, like, the pawn system in that game. Like, it's all really, really neat stuff from, like, a game development standpoint that he got to share uh, briefly before unveiling uh, the sequel. So it, I think it, they, it, they, it is... they struck a good balance. Uh, obviously, people were there for the sequel, but they they didn't they didn't dilly dally too much. You know, ten about ten minutes of just talking about uh, the history of you know Itsuno's time at Capcom and how Dragon's Dogma came to be. Enough footage and concept art, and then kind of naturally ramping up to the release of you know now we have a chance to revisit the series that we know people have been eagerly anticipating a new game potentially. Well surprise here it is so i i don't know it felt like a really good a well-paced uh video that didn't wasn't too long in the tooth so dragon's dogma 2 we know alex is excited uh and probably will be a, a ways out now but cool to know that it exists and like you said you know faith in it you because dragon's dogma 1 was unique and had a flavor all of its own and is available on pc ps4 and even on switch it released on switch back in 2019 so if you haven't played it i do suggest it it's one of my favorites all right. Uh, one of the earliest events from the last week. Uh, this actually was not too long after we recorded our last episode of the podcast was the obviously Microsoft and Bethesda showcase, essentially their E3 replacement stream, including obviously Microsoft's RPG projects, uh, Bethesda, Obsidian, all the things that were in the works were there. So we didn't quite know exactly what to expect here. Uh, we got a few things out of it that I think people were you know, expecting that we'd see a few omissions that we were hoping to see, but didn't. And then, of course, a few surprises. So we'll just go through them. Uh, the biggest thing here that we saw was that we finally got our first extended look at the upcoming Bethesda title, Starfield. Obviously, originally slated to release this November, had been previously delayed into uh, an unknown date next year. Didn't have anything quite uh, a lot of information about how this game actually looks and plays, other than like some small pieces of concept art and some things like that uh, preceding this event. Well, we got about a 15-minute little uh, snippet of footage for this game, showing like a space combat, uh, showing just exploration, some details on the number of planets and things like that. Uh, it showed some of just interesting interactions with how dialogue works, how, how about how it has a whole like almost dog fighting gameplay system alongside as well. It's, I don't know, it was good to finally get eyes on what this game actually looks like and what it plays like. Odd Hauer presents. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they did a really great outfit uh, for that uh, event. Good job, Tom. But uh, I, yeah, you know, like it, it's just a very early sneak peek at this game and like what it could potentially be. You know, like we saw some footage, like you said, and like the saying, "Oh, it'll have like thousands of planets." Like, okay, what does that actually mean? Because you know, like to, I'm sure to like a lot of like average like people, like you know, who's not really into like video games, where you hear thousands of planets, like that seems, you know, pretty, pretty like that seems neat. But for us, like who knows how like the realities of game development and people. Who, play games they're like okay i'm sure some of these planets a good chunk of these planets there's not going to be anything interesting there you know that has to be because uh, well a lot of a lot of information kind of came out after the fact in interviews with different publications and things like that uh, i don't know if i've got them all synthesized here in my head but they did mention that several of the planets do use uh, a sort of procedural percent uh, generation they did mention that there's like three or four main cities so it seems like that there's like kind of a golden path where it's like a, these selection of planets are like the key bespokely made ones. And then the other areas are more like radiant where other planets are there for, for some sort of like resource scavenging or to like fill out the world and things like that. But won't actually have like bespoke 
stories written in them. At the same time, though, uh, they did reveal that the player protagonist here, uh, the game can be played in first or third person, but dialogue is in first person. Uh, the protagonist is not voiced, which seems to be a response to the Fallout 4 experiment where they decided to voice the protagonist to kind of a lot of scrutiny, mm-hmm. which I actually think the um, I, I really enjoy when my character isn't voiced in these because usually you're talking to a character, you're selecting a dialogue choice, choice from the bottom of the screen. And once I select one, I don't need to hear the character say it out loud. I just read it sort of thing. So that's my, my and it makes it more immersive for me. I know a lot of certain people prefer to have that, but I, I think this is a good decision. They did talk about how uh, it's not seamless, like you don't fly from planet to planet entirely, which I think that's fine. For that's uh, not what kind of what I was imagining the scope of the game was going to be anyway. Uh, I, I think I would like to see a little bit more of the RPG elements. They showed a little bit in this footage here about like choosing a background, uh, the character creator in general. And there seems to be a lot of different uh, backgrounds that you can select from. It shows a little bit of like the skill trees and things like that. One thing that I think is interesting that has seemingly been really popular with their games recently is Fallout 4 added the, um, the settlement building mechanics, which mm-hmm. some people thought was a little bit like tangential to what they wanted out of an rpg but then they kind of doubled down on that with fallout 76 where a huge portion of that game is like building your own base uh here they've kind of tweaked it it seems like and they had a whole section about building your own spaceship and it seems based on the small bit of footage that we saw like really like i have a i have a i have a trailer up right now and i have it screenshotted where you have different like vendors which make different like parts. Uh, your ship will have different stats, like engine shields, uh, things like that. Uh, different sorts of uh, a whole economy based on buying different reactors or buying different uh, ion beams and things like that. Cargo, jump range, mobility. So, so it seems like there's almost like a game within a game in terms of spaceship crafting, which I think could be potentially really interesting. So I don't know. There's a, there's a lot to see here and there's a lot to chew into. It's hard. It's they kind of we did a pretty good job diluting it all down into like a 15 little a 15 minute montage uh, touching on all the different systems. Yeah, I, th- I think I need to see more like because uh, it's definitely it's like one of those weird things like you like you said earlier it's like when they reveal it's like yes that looks like a fallout or a skyrim in space that's what it would look like and I, I, need, I need something I don't know. I, I want to see I kinda, more. No, what, I wanna, what I want to see is something like, like unedited. I wanted to see like someone picking up a controller and just playing and just saying like, yeah. what is it? What does it look like to pick up a quest? What does it look like to look in your log and see where to go and where the objective is? What does it look like to run into an enemy and have to get into combat? And then yeah, I, I, think, I think I, yeah, I think I want to see like what does like what do traits look like? Like how how do like how does like building your character look like? Like what what sorts of like like I I don't want it to be like because. I don't want it to be like, oh, you can like shoot the gun better. Uh, that'd be your traits. Like, I want something that like really embraces like the space setting and what and what that entails uh, alongside it. I don't, I just don't want it to be like, oh, it's just a Fallout, but you just happen to be in space, but you still have like identical traits and skills. You know, one thing I hope they get rid of is everything when they showed like the combat footage here. First of all, the combat footage looks a little bit like not a great frame rate, so it's still in development. I think it's good that they pushed it back. Um, but every time he defeats an enemy, there's like an EXP flag that shows up in the center of the screen with like a, the bar filling in, like how close they must be to a level up. It, it almost mm-hmm. feels like to me, like that's almost serving just the trailer. Like, yes, this is an RPG. You get EXP when you defeat enemies. I'm like, I don't <laughs> need that. I hope I can turn that off. Uh, and usually these games have some degree of compatible, uh, of how you can edit what shows up on the UI. But to me, it just felt like, yep, this is an RPG. Five EXP for killing that spacer. Five EXP for killing that spacer. Like that seems a little bit silly. Definitely. This is, is this day this is day one on Game Pass also, right? Uh, I assume so because it's under Microsoft's banner now. 
Okay. And yeah, not don't have any more release dates other than next year. I'm assuming it'll be holiday next year. One of those games that I think we'll have to see some more unedited, uh, unedited gameplay or some more hands-on opportunities to to really get a feel for how, how the whole how the whole thing is coming together and things like that. Right. I do think that the dog the dog fighting gameplay looked uh, more fully featured than I than I thought it would when they when they kind of touched on that as a kind of a kind of a big surprise. I think that worked out okay. Uh, so other things that were shown at the Microsoft event. Uh, oh, by the way, this is kind of related, so we'll just talk about this. Um, in an interview with IGN, they asked about... Uh, so we we know that they're working on Elder Scrolls Six. They revealed that several years ago with literally just a logo and like an image of like some mountains, something that could be so generic it could be from any fantasy setting. Uh, it was asked about what is the future of Fallout itself, the main series. Um, Todd Howard mentioned that Fallout 5 is, I don't, I don't want to say in development, but is coming, but not until after The Elder Scrolls 6. Long story short, Fallout 5 is a long, long, long way away. Uh, this, was not an, this was not an announcement at the event. This was like answering an interview question. It's, you might be like, why, why even talk about it then? Well, they talked about it because they were asked about it. Uh, so Fallout 5 is not something they're giving up on. Uh, and it's just that they only have so much manpower. And Starfield has is their major project of the last several years. And Elder Scrolls 6, of course, is still in uh, early development. Fallout 5 will be after that. So I'll uh, be waiting on that for a bit. They did announce a new expansion for Fallout 76, The Pit. Or Fallout 76 Expeditions, The Pit. One of those names that has both a colon and a hyphen. So I was one of the I kept Fallout 76 installed on my computer for a long, long time. I, I was pretty darn thorough in that game. I'll put it this way. When they announced the shuttering of the Bethesda launcher and you had to like re-download your games on Steam, uh, I have not done that yet for Fallout 76. And I've not even watched the trailer for The Pit because I just don't think I really care anymore. Like I got my fill. I enjoyed it for what it was, even as buggy as it was and as slipshod as it was at launch. So I don't know if anyone felt any differently from that, but it didn't register with me pretty much whatsoever and outside that i think that was pretty much it from the bethesda side of things i guess we'll go over into the obsidian side of things uh we were hoping to see potentially see some more footage from their upcoming rpg avowed which takes place in the pillars universe uh long story short we didn't see that instead we got a trailer for a new game called pentiment which is a narrative focused dialogue uh, i don't even know if rpg is quite the right word uh, but it's an adventure game that takes place. When does it take place? 16th, 16th century Bavaria. I was about to say France. I'm like, wait, it's not France. 16th century Bavaria. So it takes place in like the late Middle Ages. Yeah, I don't know if you'd call that early Renaissance. Uh, I hope I have my centuries right here. Uh, the trailer has a very like distinct kind of unique art style that I think some people were put off by. But the trailer is pretty much exactly what I described. It's basically dialogue choices uh, in terms of knowing almost like an adventure game. Uh, in terms of acquiring information from townsfolk, being able to share that with um, interactions with various people in various areas. On very small side, focus. I know some game. people who saw the art style and they were immediately interested. <laughs> it's very unique. It's quite different. And it, it, it it's takes like, like, it's like medieval era like drawings. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And this is a not like, Josh... not like medieval art, but like medieval drawings. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, so Josh Sawyer is the uh, is the head behind this, and he was a major creative mind behind. Uh, Fallout New Vegas and the Pillars of Eternity games. So we we've known for a while. He shared on his social media that he's been working on a smaller scoped, dialogue focused RPG. So this game is not really being like marketed as uh, as an RPG. It has dialogue choices and it Sawyer has. Sawyer like... called it RPG light. Oh, he did. All right. So the, uh, this is this is November of this year. It'll also be on Game Pass. Uh, I think it's kind of cool that Microsoft is allowing uh, their acquisitions to work on smaller projects like this. 
Um, I do think they showed a little bit of like grounded footage at the event, but uh, that's just kind of an, uh, another game that is being made. Both both grounded and Pentiment are being made by like ten to fifteen person teams because of course they've got uh big teams on uh, Avowed and do we know the what Outer they're Worlds like? Too. Yeah, Outer Worlds too. That was it. Like I know there's another major project that they got uh in the works so that seems to be like the four major things that obsidian's working on at the moment but avowed probably just needs more time in the oven before they're ready to show it uh because it's on game pass like i will obviously just pick up uh pentiment just to see like what it's like i i know some people saw this and they're like really eager to play it and like uh i saw someone say like josh sawyer could punch me in the face and i would enjoy it or things like that I, i do think he has a good track record and i do think that the pillars games are underrated so uh, I do think that this will be an interesting game to play through uh, and be kind of a more experimental take on uh, some of the things that we like to see in RPGs, but in a different sort of setting and in a different sort of gameplay framework. I know what Josh Sawyer said on Twitter was some people were comparing the game to Disco Elysium, like a narrative focused choice based game. And he was like, uh, Disco Elysium, not really. He said the games he would compare it most to are Night in the Woods and Oxenfree. Huh. Those are the games that he compared it to. Interesting. I know a lot of people think really strongly of both of those games, so maybe that's the whole reason why he brought that competitive comparison. But I don't know I haven't played those, so it might be an interesting new experience for me once I get to try it out. So a few other things that were shown at the uh, Microsoft event. This one, this one is. Uh, I guess I'll do- talk about this one first. We got an announcement of remasters for. Or is remaster the right word? For new release offerings for Persona 3 Portable, Persona 4 Golden, and Persona 5 Royal. Uh, Obviously, in the context of the Microsoft event, they announced that they were coming to Xbox, Windows, PC, and to Game Pass. The Persona 5 Royal is releasing on October 21st. Persona 4 Golden and Persona 3 Portable, that's the version of the game they went with for Persona 3, are listed as coming soon. And then after the Microsoft event explicitly, eh, we got some... PR uh, press release directly from Atlas saying that these are also coming to PlayStation 5 and to Steam. So all together with both those announcements together, we have the Persona 3 Portable, Persona 5 Royal, and Persona 4 Golden coming to Xbox consoles, coming to Game Pass, coming to Steam if they're not already there, starting this year with Persona 5 Royal and next year for the other two. Obviously, really clarify to clarify for people also the PlayStation 5 is for Persona 5 Royal, but for Persona 4 Golden and Persona 3 Portable, those are coming to PS4. And obviously, you can play them on PS5 via the PS4 backwards compatibility feature for them. I guess that, yeah. that's something that still is like foggy for me. Like, so once place, uh, once Persona Five Royal is on PS5, what is the difference yeah. between playing P5 Royal PS5 version versus playing P5 Royal PS4 version on PS5? It presumably, this version will like how uh, support 60 FPS. Uh, presumably, because that's that's the that, that's the footage that we were given from that trailer. We're we're assuming that Persona Five Royal on piece our PS Five will run at sixty FPS, as opposed to if you run the PS Four version of Persona Five Royal on PS Five now, that's still that's still not thirty FPS. Uh, gotcha. I didn't know if the PS Five boost or whatever took care of that or not. No. Right. Sometimes you have games where I feel like the difference between a native PS Five version and a native PS Four version aren't very different. Like. If Persona 3 Portable had a PS5 version, would it be like any different than a PS4 version? Like, really? 
don't know. So obviously, yeah. I'm excited for this because I have not played Persona Five Royal yet, and I I actually downloaded when P5 Strikers came to PC. I, I kind of downloaded it just because it felt like an event, like Persona game on PC. I know Persona 4 Golden preceded it, but I'd already played that game. This will be kind of my opportunity. I never finished P5 Strikers because obviously I didn't play the original game, but this will be an opportunity to grab P5 Royal on, on Steam and then follow that right up into Strikers if I'm really feeling like uh, I'm enjoying the characters in the world. Obviously, another key interesting take here is that they're going with the P3P version of the game for Persona 3 because as most of us here are kind of aware there really is no purely definitive version of persona 3 because you have persona 3 fes which includes like the answer and then persona 3 portable which includes the female protagonist so how do we feel about the fact that they decided to go with portable version of the game for the for this re-release opportunity i think for a wider audience it's the better choice for a few reasons one People like the female protagonist, and it's the only Persona game that has that, besides like Maya from Eternal Punishment. Um, that's a big draw. Two, you can control all your characters. In the other, in the PS2 versions, you can't. The idea kind of was that you are the protagonist, and everyone else is literally like their own person acting on their own, so you couldn't control them. Which honestly, I think it works out fine. But if given the choice, I'd rather, you know choose your own controls and like actions that you're doing in battle and whatnot. Um, so that's a big draw. And there's also a couple of other things that I had actually had forgotten about in FES that are kind of annoying. Uh, one, uh, this is kind of getting to the weeds a little bit, but if you play as a male character and you social link with the female characters, it's always romantic. I had forgotten about that, that there is no like, romance or friendship route. Oh yeah, that's right. And if you romance like Yukari and Mitsuru or whatever at the same time, they'll get like really mad and you'll break the links. Uh, I I remember when playing through that game, you have to be careful like, okay, I have to get Yukari to rank 10 and then I can like continue on with, you know, Mitsuru's uh, uh, social link or else uh, you're you're gonna make someone mad. So like stuff like that. But oh, really, wait, the so I want to make sure reason... I understand. I want to make sure I understand. So in Persona Three Portable, they added a friendship route. Yes. Okay. <laughs> you can you can just choose to be friends, and I think even if you choose to be like romantic with more than one character, it, like just doesn't matter. <laughs> so stuff like that. But I think the real the real reason why they're going with Portable is that supposedly like the coding for the PS2 versions is just like very, very messy. And this is obviously outside of my like zone of knowledge, but stuff like how models are used in in battle and in scenes and whatnot. And uh, apparently it just, if it were to be ported, it would just be a huge hassle. Whereas the PSP version is just a lot, I guess, easier to work with. That's probably the real reason they did it. But one other thing is like in... In the original Persona 3 and in FES, the fatigue system is a little bit, you know, it's you have to work around the fatigue system where you can only play for so long in the dungeon before your character gets tired and then they like will basically be useless in battle. So you can't really grind. If you wanted just to play for an hour and just battle for a bit, you can't really do that because your characters are going to get tired and sick. Um, Whereas in the PSP version, they basically got rid of that. It's still barely there, but really just barely. So you don't have to worry about fatigue anymore, which a lot of these re-releases for Persona games, they do that. They kind of make them as frictionless as possible, um, you know, for for better or worse. But yeah, stuff like that, I think for a wider audience is more palatable. 
So before even this announcement had come out, uh, you had played recently through Persona 3 Portable uh, just on a whim because you had played the FES version. Uh, and the, um... I actually played Persona 3 Portable because I was kind of clued off that this was happening. And I was just like, oh, you know what, I, I see. want to do this version so I can talk to it. <laughs> well, it so. seems to have paid off. Uh, do you think people lose anything by the fact that when you're like exploring the schools or anything, it's all menu based now instead of actually moving um... the character? Maybe for like a moment, but then once you get into like the third, fourth, fifth month of the game and you just kind of want to like get around quickly, I don't mind just like navigating through a menu where it's just like go to the gates, go to the classroom or go to the second floor. Or go. To you, the know what, you know what? This is, this, is this is a dumb thing, but you know what immediately popped in my mind? I'm like, it actually does kind of sound nice. I'm comparing in my head from a different video game series, the base mechanic of like Fire Emblem Path of Radiance versus the monastery from Fire Emblem oh, yeah. Three Houses. And I'm like, you know what? Sometimes a menu is just fine. <laughs> so uh, just like, I just want to go to the barracks rather than actually just like walking over to the barracks. Um, now, I know uh, some people are like, well, the, the portable version doesn't have like the animated cutscenes, which fair, but there's not that many of them. There's like five. I think there's not that a lot. Sorry, I was gonna say I think that is a problem with the Persona games, the newer ones. That once the once you're so far into the game, the schedule just becomes a routine. You just don't care about anything. You just keep doing the same thing over. What about yeah, the um, so in terms the, of the presentation? Of, it's fine. I think I was gonna say what what about the loss of the answer? Do you think that's a big deal? The answer is not very popular. I actually like it, but it is it really more draws to like the Persona series more dungeon crawling routes than the like social link stuff. Um, so like if you're a dungeon crawler head like me, you might like the answer. But if you're just like wanting to, you know, hang out with the characters and whatnot and do social links, you can't because it's not really that. Um, and some people don't like the story. I think actually the story is fine, too. Um, you'll hear a lot about how Yukari is treated in the answer. But I think it's actually like, you know, it's actually kind of thoughtful and works out, I think, even if it's not like perfect, happy rainbows, because that game is not perfect, happy rainbows. But um, but yeah, it's one of those things that like me, I like the answer. Most people probably wouldn't and don't care that it's gone. I, I'm in that boat. <laughs> I thought I thought it's fine. You know, I didn't mind the answer either. <laughs> I didn't like the gameplay aspect of it. Agus didn't really have much control over the personas that you can use. Like the fusion system is completely bonkers because you don't have the what, what do you call the the kind of like encyclopedia where you can use like pass compendium. Yeah, that thing is completely missing in in the answer, so it becomes mm-hmm. just like Cooper something to get the persona you want. It was just annoying. And yeah, I, I did not like the answer in the gameplay wise and. Story-wise, I felt like it's just a kind of, kind of filler. It's like, yeah, I know about this stuff. It's just feel like the characters just have trouble moving on, and it's to the point. And you know, it's like yeah. I don't need it. You know, didn't offer anything new. And I know we focus most of this discussion on this news bit about Persona Three Portable because obviously I think that's the most interesting part of the bunch here. As soon as Persona Four Golden came to Steam, I think people were kind of hoping, like, well, it's going to get a PlayStation port, right? Well, here it is, and then obviously Persona Five Royal coming to PC is also a big deal. And that's the one that's dated for this year. So exciting. This P3 portable, the fact that they had to decide between two versions to go with. And it's the one that was like least accessible before this announcement. I thought it just lended itself to being the kind of the key discussion point there, but really kind of cool to see that now we're in a, in a, a world of multi-platform persona kind of just being a thing now. Yeah. It was insane. 
That's crazy. I, I think and, it was funny. You had the the, the forty eight hour scramble um, after the Xbox announcement, like, and then they were very very. That's only for Windows Store PC because they were holding back the announcement for forty eight hours for the Steam and PlayStation announcement, which is yeah. sort of amusing, I guess. Yeah, like uh, we uh, we have we have a six month store exclusivity, and then we have forty eight hour news of platform exclusivity, which is like sure, you know, make. Go make that make that paper, <laughs> whatever whatever Microsoft that even, is willing to get you. Does that even do anything? Then again, I don't know. I I feel the same way with the Street Fighter Six announcement. Well, the thing is, like, is, is this, also like, oh, go ahead about Street Fighter Six. I was just gonna say, it's like when you hear Street Fighter Six being announced and you and you see it in a Sony conference, it's like, oh my god, is this gonna be a Sony exclusive game? Oh my god, please no. Then, just to be clear, like for example, a lot of games are like shown in a Nintendo Direct first. Like I think Chrono Cross was. Um, at the very least, I know Legend of Mana. Yeah, Nintendo, Nintendo directs do um, that often with uh, Square Enix. And then, but like usually, how it is is like, for example, I'll use Legend of Mana as an example. It's shown in Nintendo Direct, and like as soon as it's over, Square Enix releases a press release saying Legend of Mana coming to everything. You know, it just was shown in the Nintendo Direct. Um, but this case, they showed the Persona games, and Atlas released a press release at the time saying coming to Xbox, and everyone was like, "What about PC? What about PS4? PS5?" And there was like rumors and leaked like press releases, like is it coming or not? But Atlas didn't actually say anything until like two days later. So it was kind of awkward. They just kind of held on to it for a while. Yeah. Just because they can. Well, you know, it's probably how to get try to try it. to get people to associate Persona with Xbox. Yeah, I bet you Good there's luck. definitely some money money uh exchanged hands behind the scenes for them to, you know, get that just associate Persona with Xbox for at least forty eight hours. And then I don't know, okay. man. You know, in Persona games, there's always a menu color that represents the game. Red for Persona 5, yellow for 4, and blue for for free. Green can be for Persona 6, guys, and it'll be Xbox exclusive. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think green well, would make a cool uh, UI color, and if anything, it would just be potentially announced in like an Xbox event. That would be interesting to have it announced at an Xbox event, even if it ended up being like multi-platform. The, the real question is: Do you think do you think the older personas are gonna come to modern platforms now? No, eventually? no. <laughs> Dang! Wow! Wow! No, no one even entertained the idea. That's crazy. I think I think it is possible for like other PS2 games, like Digital Devil Saga, to get like the Nocturne treatment, maybe. But that's I think that's more likely, even if not very likely, than Persona One and Two. That's my thought. P3P is coming over. Get the rest of the PSP personas. Come on. Nobody cares about P1. And P2 is kind of... I don't know. I feel like they had to redone the entire game a lot for modern audience. And they don't want to put that effort in. Dang. All right. Well, you heard it here first. No one's a believer except me. Just just like Chow was on record for uh, for earlier. You're on record. that. Are you confident they'll bring P1 and P2 outside of their... Uh... Their cage. I have to believe because no one else will, will believe. So we also got some announcements. I think that's it from uh from Microsoft's direct studios. We didn't see we didn't hear about uh 
the new Fable game. We didn't hear about anything else in terms of the, the games that they have been working on with some of their internal studios. I uh, got a few like third party announcements that were uh, shown at the Xbox presentation. The most interesting one of this is probably from Team Ninja. And this is from uh, publisher Koei Tecmo. This is the Neo team. We've been kind of wondering, at least I've been kind of wondering what they've been working on uh, since the release of Neo 2, which is one of my favorite games of the last couple of years. Uh, they revealed a new action RPG called Wolong Fallen Dynasty. So this is a game that takes place in the Three Kingdoms era of ancient China. And actually, right before this podcast, I was asking uh, Josh and Chow, who are a little bit more well-versed on this just region of history, about exactly like what period of time this is. It's the time that's depicted in the uh, Romance of the Three Kingdoms novel. And this trailer is mostly a cinematic trailer. I'm actually entirely a cinematic trailer, just kind of showing the vibe of the game. And it's not that far away. It's slated to release in early 2023. It was shown at the Microsoft event, but it's also coming out for PC and PlayStation 4 and PlayStation 5. So I don't know. What do we think about Team Ninja's new game from the Neo team? I think it was really funny that they were teasing Lubu at the end of that trailer. <laughs> don't, don't chase Lubu, guys. Yeah, don't, do not pursue Lubu. Uh, I, well, I'm really, really excited to, to see this. Um, at, at, at later uh, at a later interview with IGN, they were uh saying that this is like de-emphasizing like the loot aspect uh in this entry so it won't be like crazy like loot driven loot heavy driven like you know previous neo games it'll also have a jump button so that's oh. the only other uh details they've disclosed about i don't the know title. it sounds like they're aping elden ring if it's got a jump oh. button oh. Oh. i was just gonna ask uh, do you know who the protagonist is on based on that trailer or you have no idea i i mean i i so it's one of those weird things like they said it's gonna be player created but based on the title like it may be juge leong because wo long is kind of translation for sleeping dragon oh okay um, yeah which is you know pointing to juge leong um but i don't know exactly if they're gonna go lean in that direction based on the title alone because that because that because i think they're saying it's a player created character right so that's the same thing with Neo 2, wasn't it? You get a yeah. player driven avatar as your character versus yeah. the first game where you get to use uh, what was his name? William something? Forgot the Neo 1 main character's name. William yeah. Scottish man. There okay. I don't know. My, my friends just call him the first Weeaboo. <laughs> well, they kind of played with the history with uh, the Neo game with like the, the player protagonist kind of occupying the role of Hideyoshi. But also with Tokichiro, yeah. like they are, they're really kind of loose with it. Where they obviously it was just inspired a fictional take on the time period, so they might do something like that again, where it is a player created character who ends up taking kind of like the active role of a historical figure instead. But yeah, ever since uh, like I was ever since it was confirmed that this that the Neo team was not the team behind uh, Stranger Paradise, I've been wondering what they've been working on. And this uh, it's kind of a cool like a cool mythology that I'm not that well versed in. That this I and I do also kind of. And when they say that it's not going to be as loot based as the Neo games, I wonder if that's going to be it's going to be more like I hate to say this, but maybe more like Dark Souls or like Elden Ring, where you have kind of like explicit weapon types or gear types that are then linearly upgraded rather than having a system like Stranger Paradise or like uh, Neo, where it's a system of attributes that you can use the different mechanics of the game to modify or tear up or tear down or ranking systems or, you know, colored loot and things like that. Um, I remember when I was playing Neo 2, I would spend a lot of time streaming it and having Adam watch where I would just spend literally hours at like the blacksmith just tinkering with the weapons and gear. So if they can streamline that in any in any way, I'll be all for it. But yeah, that'll be coming out early next year for uh, as a multi-platform game. Did they explicitly say that it is an RPG? I'm trying to actually find that in the uh, in the press release for it. I don't think they did. 
All right. I said action RPG at the start at the start. Um, I guess we don't know 100% for sure, but uh, I guess we'll we'll reconvene once we actually see some because this was just an introductory cinematic trailer. So once we see some gameplay or some uh, other features for it, uh, we can reconvene on that. And it will be available uh, day one on Game Pass. Uh, we got a new trailer for Diablo 4. Uh, I don't know if this is that interesting, but it is coming to PlayStation 4, 5, Xbox Series, Xbox One, and PC next year. We got a new trailer for the Necromancer, a pretty long, you know, cinematic trailer for the class. And it is one area that uh, Blizzard likes to flex their, you know, cinematic chops on that. So pretty thorough trailer on that. We did also get a, a little bit more of an extended gameplay showcase, showcase for the game, uh, just kind of showing the game more at a high level. Uh, of how it plays and how it feels. Uh, I was a hardcore Diablo 2 fan, but I don't know. I feel like a lot of the series have burned a lot of goodwill. Over yeah, I'm, uh, I mean, I'm still interested in, uh, in, in definitely like the new mainline entry. Like, it's kind of a weird time because after like the reception to Diablo Immortal and how that's going, like it's, it's kind of like we'll see, we'll see. But what they've shown so far, like, it's I'm interested. Yeah, I'm interested in giving it a try. It's just like, it's just Blizzard's in like in a really, really weird spot, both in and outside of like the realm of video games, you know. Mm. Um, so, like the, the the gameplay they've shown for Diablo Four so far, I'm like, I want to try it out, but it's a, that that that's definitely a separate matter from like, will I feel good trying it out? Like, there, yeah. there's always something wrong with it. It's like, okay, Diablo Three, they finally fixed the game, and we f- pull out all support for it. <laughs> it's like, oh, thanks. And then there is Diablo Immortal with completely bonkers monetization, and now it, they have to like even said for four is like we it's like, this game's not pay to win, okay guys, nothing to worry about. But but I mean it's it's it's, it's, it's the, the the different development internal teams, you know. The, well, even then, I don't I don't think Diablo Immortal was the, like internal. I think about like Netty. I forgot who was it. Netty's oh. I forgot. But it's just. A, I think I think it's really cool that like Diablo Four is just like it's going to be a cross play and cross progression for all the platforms it's releasing on. That that, that is pretty neat. The fact that it's like, cross play everywhere. I think the best thing is that it's if released for all consoles because that tells you that they have a lot stricter guidelines and the monetization wouldn't be as scummy as something that was released on a mobile game, right? Yeah, I mean, it, it, like this this can't like this can't launch like let's say with like a real money auction house like Diablo Three did. It, uh, like, I think they're 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 really like being wary about that. It might it might have like a battle pass. It might have like you know some like stuff like in game monetization stuff like along those lines, like how other games do it. But I don't think it's going to be as egregious as say let's say Diablo three at launch and Immortal. So you know I'm I'm looking for I like what they showed and I'm like okay I'm I I like action RPGs. I like Diablo. I'm probably going to give it a shot. Hopefully it comes to outside of Battle.net uh, when it comes to the PC, but who knows at that point. Um, but, I, I, you know, I'm looking forward to it. I, I, it, I know that's a very unpopular opinion at, at some places, but, you know, what can you do? And then the, the five classes that they've announced so far, just sort of as a, as a reminder, are Barbarian, Sorceress, Rogue, Druid, and now Lecroma- uh, Necromancer. Yeah. Our favorite classics from Diablo 2. Uh, a couple other gameplay trailers that were shown uh, at the event. Here's one from a smaller developer called Coco Cucumber, a fantasy fairy tale action RPG called Ravenlock. So it will be releasing on Xbox and PC next year in 2023. Um, 
It'll be Game Pass on day one, and we got a new uh, reveal trailer for Ravenlock. Uh, much more like cutesy, like fairy tale art style. Almost kind of reminds me, kind of like a a Nightmare Before Christmas sort of style to it. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Really uh, this 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 is uh, the 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 um developers have had this ongoing thing called the Voxel Trilogy, which is sort of like their building their portfolio of like you know mixing with voxels and video games and. Uh, you know, going with that visual style, like with River Bond and Echo Generation before it, so that Ravenlock is like the finale of their voxel trilogy, uh, and I think it it looks really really cool. It has such a distinct look. It has such a like, uh, a very fantasy esque like like you said, Nightmare Before Christmas, but kind of kind of like a more corrupted fairy tale type of vibe uh, to it, and it it looks pretty nice. Like I'm I'm really glad that they showed this off at the. At the Microsoft showcase, because I don't think I would have ever seen this if they if they didn't uh, put attention to it. Kind of like Coraline, but not quite as dark. It's a little bit more cheery than that. But yeah, it's mm-hmm. kind of just a, it's it's unique graphical style. I think is really kind of cool, and it's kind of the most uh, most distinctive feature for that it comes clearly through through the trailer. But yeah, uh, it'll be coming next year. No no explicit time, but it's uh, uh, one of those Xbox PC joints. So it will be coming to Game Pass day one. And the last thing that we saw is we saw a new trailer for upcoming RPG Flintlock: The Siege of Dawn. This is a game that we've talked about, I think, at least on the, at least once on the podcast before from Kepler Interactive. It has been delayed. It was originally supposed to be uh, released this year, I believe, but it was delayed into 2023. Uh, it is releasing on pretty much everything except Switch. Um, it is coming to Xbox Game Pass day one. That's why it was showcased at the uh, at the Microsoft event. Action open world action RPG. Yeah, I mean the the like the main character has like an interesting uh, tool uh, arsenal. They have like a hatchet and like a musket on them, which mm-hmm. is okay, sure. So the, like the trailer like you know shows like a bit of the combat footage, and they they have like a like a like a fox like creature called Inky, who assists them like with uh, like casting magical spells in battle and like uh, helps them out through platforming stuff. Um, it, it it had a pretty uh, strong uh, showing at the Microsoft uh, event. Just like it just kind of came out of nowhere for a lot of people. It's like, oh, it's that for us. It's like, oh, it's that game. Like you know, they haven't shown like gameplay of it until now, and like that that looked cool. You know what they showed of it. Yeah, we we got like some behind the scenes footage before about like the world and the environments, but not like this trailer was like basically two minutes of combat and traversal. So for our first extensive look at how the game will look to play and f- look and feel to play. But yeah, maybe it might be uh, one of those diamonds in the rough for, for next year. We don't know other than 2023, they push it back. Uh, they, I guess they say early 2023, uh, but it's kind of up in the air at this point. And I think it kind of covers it for everything that was shown at the Microsoft event. Just in general, how did we feel about uh, their presentation last week? Thought they had a really, really strong showing. Uh, probably one of their best, like, conference type dealios because a lot of the games they showed off actually had gameplay uh, in them and actually showed you know what players will be doing when they um, play their games. Like, I think Microsoft has had like a really bad reputation of like having like going to these conferences and like only showing off CG footage of their games and not and and showing off like games that like are far off and like they like even if they show, share like a release window. They keep delaying them and delaying them, so this one felt more tangible and more realistic than the than the others. Like because they shed, they, they 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 were very clear in saying these are the games that are coming out in the next twelve months for the Xbox, and you know, and you can see that like a lot of them, it's like okay, yes, I can see that there's 
that this realistically looks like something that you can be able to play be be played soon. Yeah, I remember when they when they had one of their first reveals after uh, they showed off the new Fable game and the new Avowed teaser like at the same event, I believe, which were both like right in our wheelhouse, but also both so far away, which is why we haven't seen them since. Uh, so I do agree that it's kind of nice to be able to say like, here are all games that are stuff that is ready to show and something that you'll be playing and not too, too long and not something you don't have to be waiting on for forever. Yeah, I guess I say that, but then they also did tie to this event talk about Fallout 5 in an indirect manner, but at least under their their internal studios, um, a little bit more focus on stuff that will be playable on Game Pass within the next 12 months. And uh, let it not be uh, kind of uh, missed that the fact that every game shown off is in coming out within the next 12 months implies that we're finally getting Hollow Knight Silk Song within the next 12 months. Yeah. Uh, that, that was still a really funny tra- trailer because like, hey, there's a Silk Song trailer here. And then there's still no like release date or window shared for it aside from that 12 month window, obviously. But I was like, it's cool to see it there. But man, I, I was really expecting like a release date by, at this point after that. Did they show Hellblade 2? No. Nope. Oh, that surprises me. It's not really yeah. in our wheelhouse, but it feels like that's the game that has been kind of at the forefront of a lot of their conferences since like 2019, right? It's been a while. But, you know, good things take time, I guess. Uh, we also did have this week the PC gaming show. Um, not a, not as much there uh, in our RPG wheelhouses and some of the other areas, but a few a handful of things to talk about. One game that they revealed was a trailer for a game called Demon School. So I'll be honest, I have not watched this trailer. I will watch it right now. Adam, tell me about Demon School. So this, this game is statedly inspired by Italian horror, like like vintage Italian horror specifically, uh, horror manga and um, they don't say this specifically but it looks a heck of a lot like Persona 1 or Persona 2 um, in terms of the uh, like the isometric sort of style of like the characters and in battle it seems like it's a little bit more tactical RPG than those games are um, but you know it, it has the similar sort of vibe it's I think they said there's like 15 different characters you can meet and yes you can have like relationships and social links with them and whatnot um, which weren't really in the in their old Persona games, but obviously inspired by the new ones. Um, and it's got, you know, this sort of... Um, I believe they said the color specifically, um, lots of, like, dark purples and maroons and whatnot uh, are what they picked up from vintage Italian horror. So yeah. it looks like, you know, tactical RPG school sim, like, literally in horror. It's, it's like trying to blend, like, modern Persona systems, and, but with that look of older Persona games. Like you definitely have like that counter in the at the top right corner of like what day it is the weekend, um, and then you know that like in the older Persona games you can travel around via a menu of like different parts of the school, um, and uh, like I I really really dig like the the Italian horror vibe they're going with, especially like there's a point in the trailer where they're fighting against like this like gigantic skull and like it splits open in between the middle to like pop out a brain that <laughs> you you start wailing cool. on. Yeah, it's it's a really really cool game, and it's uh I my favorite part about this trailer as I just watched it is when the characters are like running, they're all running in like this exaggerated sprint animation where they're like really yeah. lifting their knees up high and like pumping their arms. I don't know. There's just something like cheery and kind of fun about it in a world that's pretty gloomy and dark. But yeah, yeah uh, much slated out for next year. Yeah, coming out for everything, including Switch. Uh, slated just to be announced 2023. Uh, cool little two minute trailer introducing the game, showing plenty of gameplay as well, even though it was the introductory trailer. So really cool uh, thing that was a surprise out of the PC gaming show. 
We also got a new trailer for a game that's been kind of semi-vaporware for a while, and that is the System Shock remake. Got a new trailer at the PC Gaming Show. The trailer shows a lot of gameplay from the first-person perspective, uh, just some gameplay about some of the other systems, including like the hacking systems and some of the other combat. No new information about a release window, which is interesting. Uh, I should say it's it's slated to come out on everything except Switch. No new information about a release window, even though they had previously stated that it would be out in 2022. So we don't know if that's still the case. They did not reconfirm it here. They just left it open-ended. So long story short, we really we still don't know when we'll see the System Shock remake. Uh, I wonder if this is a chance, even though I know it's a little bit dated, once this game does have a release window, I might want to play through the initial, the original but yeah, this 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 remake's been in development for a long time. It feels like. Let me click the link and see. Oh no, I guess we haven't. We only started covering it in 2021, because I think I think before that point it was mostly just like screenshots about uh, a project that you know wasn't very far along. Mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't even it didn't even grab a publisher until uh, December Last of year. 2021. Yeah, so that mm-hmm. explains it. Uh, we also got some stuff at the PC Gaming Show about some early access launches. So because these are early access, we might not spend a ton of time on them. This is a dark fantasy roguelike called The Unliving. Uh, and the early access this for this one actually got a launch date of October 31st. It was actually supposed to get an early access last year, uh, but just got you know developments hard and pandemic. So it got delayed a bit. So this is more of a top-down perspective game, uh, kind of like one of those. I don't know. If, I don't know if this genre has a name, but like where you, a horde brawler, where you have to fight like uh, you know hundreds of, of enemies on the screen at once while you're minimizing how much damage you take. What was the game you were playing a few months ago, Josh? It was sort of like this. Vampire Survivors. Yeah. So it's kind of like that, uh, but with a with a roguelike twist. Yeah. This one. This one's neat because like you take you take control of like a necromancer, so you're like you're kind of building up like an undead army for you so like any enemies you fight you can uh, turn them over to your side and then if you want to uh use spells you like uh you kind of do like the diablo 2 thing of like you sacrifice uh some of your minions to go cast a spell um so that, that, that's a pretty neat uh, thing too it has a nice visual style looks like a lot of fun and looks like fights yet pretty cha- uh, pretty uh, chaotic from what the trailer shows so this looks pretty cool i i want to see like obviously i'm not like uh, the biggest lo- uh, early access person but once this goes like into like full release, I, I want to keep my eye on it. And that pretty much just covers it for the PC gaming show. So the highlight was obviously the Demon School announcement. But always cool to know that System Shock remake is uh, is making progress, uh, even though we don't have an official date on it quite yet. And this is one other major piece of announcement that will uh, maybe wake James up a bit. I know that Adam has been uh, looking forward to is that we finally, finally, finally got announcement of a localization for labyrinth of galleria it will be localized as labyrinth of galleria the moon society it will be releasing on playstation 4 and 5 switch and pc next year in early 2023 i know adam's been looking forward to this uh james maybe less so because he'd play it in japan uh in japanese but how do we feel that we finally got this information well, i don't know if we were anticipating it or if it was a long time coming or or what we we kind of knew that it was probably going to be talked about soonish because we have uh that one person on Reset Era that's been talking about how it got pushed back into 2023 because of uh, the backlog of Trails games that Nisa has to go through. Um, so I was thinking probably early 2023. So, uh, yeah, that's exactly when it got announced for. Now, I, I want to re- remind myself, in Japan, was it only on Vita up to this point? 
It was a Vita exclusive? No. No? No. Okay. It released on Vita and PS4 in 2020, and then it got ported to Switch last year. Gotcha. So so this announcement is basically announcing the PC release and a PS5 release, incidentally. Exactly. Uh, it's kind of following up exactly with what we uh, had heard from that uh, one person on era, Annie Hawk, basically saying, yeah, they're going to want to port it to PS5, uh, Switch, and PC. And Switch had already been dealt with last year. So the two missing pieces to the puzzle, it's like fits together perfectly with what they basically said to expect. So yeah, a lot of people seem to be very excited from like uh, the when this the news went up. Uh, the the response to it has been like a lot of people have been waiting for this. Seems like, yeah, it's like I definitely feel like I've probably been the main person that started that hype train. But um, there have been some other folks that have played the Japanese release over the last like uh, six months that uh, got into it because they'd seen my impressions of the original release and. So it definitely feels like uh, the hype has been slowly increasing for folks. That's good. So Adam, I know that you felt really strongly about Coven of Dusk, um, but haven't played Galleria because you've been waiting for the uh, localization. For those of us, for those that are maybe new to the podcast or aren't familiar with Coven of Dusk, like maybe not describe the game in too much detail, but can you explain like what about it uh, made it resonate with you so much and why it made you uh, excited about a potential sequel, well, a, a literal sequel? First of all, um, I said earlier in the podcast, I'm a bit of a dungeon crawler head, and this is a dungeon crawler. Even on that front, just talking like mechanics, it's a little bit different than the usual like experience wizardry likes that we get quite a lot of. Um, it's got a very unique like doll system where you where you literally can have a party of up to I think like 35 units or something like that. Uh, it, you you can manage it, but it's it's just like a really cool like game just mechanically but of course um the first game had really it was like a character study almost of these two different characters Dranya and luca um and the way that their story is kind of told is really kind of heart-wrenching and uh very emotional with like a killer ending there and so like if they can kind of hit that again and maybe iron out some of the like m you know like some of the uh niggling issues in, uh, with the game in a sequel I think it could be really cool. I, I guess uh, when they initially like uh, announced this as well, they built it more of a success successor to Refrain rather than like a direct sequel. Or yeah, I guess by sequel, I meant, I, meant, I meant more. Yeah. I know I said the word sequel, but I, I meant really follow up. Yeah, yeah. So like, like uh, for people like worried that like, do I have to go to like uh, Coven of Dust first? It's like sure if you like, it's still a good game. Like if you want to play it, but like it's not mandatory to understand what's going on in Galleria and one hundred percent. Um, there are some small connections to Refrain and the Witch in the Hundred Night games, but those are completely like relegated to the post game. And even then, you don't need to have played those games. It's just like more of a nod than anything else. Even even Refrain had a Witch in the Hundred Night post game boss. Like, oh, I recognize the character. I have no idea what you're doing, but I'm gonna beat you up. Now remind me, did uh did Coven of Dust get our into our top five that year? Yes. Yeah. So highly thought of uh, for the original game. I've not played it yet, but makes makes it very clear why uh, James couldn't wait for the localization to play uh, Galleria and why Adam has been eagerly anticipating it. So it'll be interesting to see if we feel similarly strongly, similarly strongly about Labyrinth of Galleria next year. 
and see how it places in uh, our 2023 reward uh, rewards awards. Yeah. This America funny. put up like I'm just saying that this this America put up like limit like pre-orders for the limited edition of this game uh, for PS5, PS4, and Switch. You know, it has your typical goodies of like you know the game hardcover art book and OST, but it also comes with like an actual like Dungeon Divers card game and play mat uh, alongside it. So for people who really want to. I know See, I'm incredibly biased here, but that's probably one of the best limited editions they've done. Yeah. Like just I mean, looking at what it has, it's like, it's a full soundtrack. It's like two CDs. Mm-hmm. It's got a good art book. It's got the uh, full, like, actual, like, um, board game for only 30 bucks more than I assume what the base price is going to be, unless it's 50 for the uh, standard edition. Though they haven't put up the standard edition for pre order anymore yet, have they? I don't think so. I think it's only just a limited edition for now. So. Um, yeah, for people who really want, like, you know, the stock is limited. So if you want to dive in and get something potentially valuable, you know, that, down the line, go for it. It's cool that it also already has the Steam page up and running. Yeah, I guess uh, America is generally pretty good at that, at getting Steam pages up. Meanwhile, I think, like, Digimon Survive comes out in a month and it doesn't have one <laughs> for some reason. Yeah, Speaking still. of Digimon Survive, uh, so we got we have only like a couple more pieces of news here to some other trailers that we had to slide in somewhere that got filtered in throughout the week. We got a release date trailer for Digimon Survive. Now, we already knew that the release date was uh, July 29th for us in the West. It was just the, directly delivered to us from, I believe, the producer of the game. Uh, but it wasn't uh, the, the announcement of the release date didn't accompany like any other media or anything. So they went ahead and took the, the no knowledge of the July 29th release date and just packaged it into a new trailer of the game to, to release as a release date trailer. Uh, showing a lot more gameplay this time. I know uh, we were kind of joking earlier that they had, as we've gone through the marketing cycle of Digimon Survive, one of the one of the longest trailers we had was one of the ones that was like just five minutes of just like the anime opening with very little even like Digimon present. So not only did it have like not much gameplay, but it didn't even have much in the word like is this like does this take place in a Digimon world? Uh, but so this release date trailer really goes hard on showing a lot of gameplay, both from the like uh, RPG perspective, but also in like the um the adventure novel-esque games. adventure mm-hmm. game perspective sorry so. uh th- i know we moved on but i while looking at the scene page i found out that it is confirmed that uh gallery is going to have a dub oh cool nice. That's nice. but yeah um for the digimon survive stuff like it i think the, the least date trailer is like our kind of our first good look of like the english ui in the game too to be honest so yeah every, uh, everything else has been uh from the japanese side of things we've gotten a lot more i feel like we've gotten a lot more just footage from the game in general from like the Japanese side of uh, Bandai Namco and only certain snippets of it have been uh, presented in a localized fashion. So this one, at least we got the, uh, we got an English version of this trailer as well. That'll be coming soon uh, as people decide which RPGs they want to get at the end of July. And now we have this, you know, blade or uh, I guess Octopath Traveler. Live Alive. That instead. Yeah. The week before you got a week to finish live alive before getting into any of these. And then the last piece, uh, the last bit we have here is that uh, we got a release date for the console port for Sword and Fairy 7. We announced, uh, we talked back in May that it was going to release as Sword and Fairy Together Forever on PlayStation 4 and PlayStation 5. It released on uh, PC late last year. It will be coming to consoles on August 4th. So we got a release date for that. Oh, well, and alongside the release date, we got a new... Uh, a new trailer for it as well called the together forever exploration trailer which is yeah, shows some of the yeah. environments and some of the different locales in the game 
And I think with that, we have covered all the major beats of everything that came out of all the different events over the last week. So it has been a it's been a lot. And I think we even had to curate this list a little bit. There might have been some other little things that we just didn't have time to space in here today or just maybe on the fridge of our like of our coverage map or whatever you want to call it. So it's been a lot. And as we go uh, later into the summer, uh, as we potentially see what Nintendo is up to on their side of things, as uh, other publishers kind of dial out and polish out all their different announcements for the later half of the year, we'll follow up on all of that. And then we'll finally get into, as we just alluded to a few minutes ago, the crazy release schedule as we get into July, as all, the, as all these games that we've been anticipating, starting with Sunbreak later this month and going into Live Alive and Xenoblade and Digimon Survive and all that other stuff. Uh, it's going to be a, it feels like that this is the, uh, the start of a very, very busy time of year when it comes to, uh, gaming in general, but specifically RPGs. If you remember back from three hours ago, all those features that we talked about at the top of the podcast, including Adam's, uh, minstrel song feature, the, the feature on the kingdom hearts 1.5, 2.5 mod for PC, the refix, uh, James's steam deck list and the Knights of the Old Republic 2 switch review are up on the site. All of the different things about the Final Fantasy VII event, the, the announcement of Rebirth, a reunion of the uh, new Ever Crisis trailer and all that. All that news is also up on the site as well. Uh, you can follow RPG site on all the social media channels. We're on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and Instagram. You can go to our Discord by going to discord.gg slash RPG site or hitting the link at the top of the homepage. Uh, thank you to James, Josh, and Adam and Kite for covering a shit ton of news to put it lightly, uh, over the last week. And there's other things that we didn't even get to talk about uh, on this podcast that we do have up on the site, uh, such as um, uh, some news about a Gundam game is in there. I don't know if you want to... Here's your chance to talk about it, Josh, very briefly. Uh, and, and the new trailer, you see Gun Tank do air launcher to air combos. There you there go. There you go. Gun Tank's a beast. Uh, but yeah, we'll follow up next week with another episode of the Tetracast. Will we be able to talk about Sunbreak then, or is that one more week? Um, no, we can't talk about it next ah. week. <laughs> so next week, uh, stay tuned. We, we're not sure yet. We don't know we, ourselves. We, we, we can we can talk about particularly the new East uh, mainline game. Oh, right, because uh, we'll have the uh, information from Famitsu on that. We kind of teased that uh, last podcast about how we're expecting what seems to be purported, purportedly East 10 news uh, coming soon. But until you hear from us next time, uh, stay safe and take care, and we'll see you then.